is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to another week and another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Hustler-Patterson along with Michael Remus. And we have a very busy, busy show, as you would expect, coming out of such a great sports weekend. The cup final is set. The Bombers are 1-0. Lots to unpack from that game. And Manitoba's Aaron Cockrell is back in Winnipeg after making his PGA Tour debut and making the cut at the RBC Canadian Open. Aaron Cockrell will join us in a few minutes on the program. We'll uh, discuss the latest Jets news, NHL news with Jeff Hamilton, as well as dive into the Bombers' 1917 win on Friday night. And then a little later on, my guy Dustin Nielsen will join us. He, of course, called the Bomber game on Friday night and then went out and called BC's thrashing of the Elks on Saturday night. So we'll get a little taste of week one from the Canadian Football League and more with Dustin Nielsen a little bit later on on the program. Shout out to everybody that's with us already on YouTube. Great to see you. Hope you had an awesome weekend. And shout out to everybody listening on the podcast. Of course, if you haven't already, hit that red subscribe button for you YouTubers out there. Hit the thumbs up and help us spread the channel. And if you ever have the option for you podcast listeners of jumping onto Spotify or Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star rating and a review, we always do appreciate it. Uh, huge thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day, including Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, Wallace & Wallace, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, Cool Bet Canada, and Assiniboia Downs. The live racing is back tonight, and be sure to be with us towards the end of the program where you'll have the option and the opportunity to enter in a uh, fun contest, picking the winner of race six tonight. We're going to do that over the course of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this week, and next. And our top five pickers will be able to bring a guest and join myself and Remus out for a night at the Downs, including that world-famous Prime Rib Buffet. Uh, so let's get to it. Let's get Remus in here and... Uh, Fire it up. How was the weekend, my friend? I know you were busy. Yeah, very busy with some uh, family celebrations. So, uh, But I am happy to be back here because we have so much to get to. I've been holding in these bomber takes since Friday. Uh, and we have had like some news on the trots watch and the head coaching situation around the NHL. If you can put it, call it news, like this cryptic Kevin Weeks tweet. So I have a lot of thoughts that I've been looking to get to. So it's great to see everyone in chat. Thank you. And thank you, Hustler. And oh, yeah, Canadian Open as well. We were following Aaron Crockle. So, you know, low-key, very great sports weekend in Stanley Cup final. A lot, it it lot. was. And it, and it was funny because, of course, the uh, the Lightning booked their ticket to the finals, winning four straight after falling down to nothing. Um, there was no NBA finals. Game five will go tonight. But... I mean, this was one of the great weekends in Canadian golf uh, in, in a long, long time. And, you know, all the focus was on St. George's in Toronto uh, and the golf world was all about the live tour and who's going over there and the guys that are still with the PGA Tour stepping up. But it was Brooke Henderson that stole the headlines yesterday. An absolutely stunning final round performance, getting her into a playoff and then an eagle on the first playoff hole, and Brooke Henderson is uh, still now officially the winningest Canadian golfer of all time. 11 tour wins. Um, so, I mean, that was first and foremost on its own 
a huge day for Canadian golf. And then that scene yesterday with the threesome of Tony Finau, Justin Thomas, and Rory McIlroy going toe-to-toe -to -toe in prime scoring conditions was just such an absolute treat. And the crowds at St. George's were incredible. We heard it from all the players. We'll talk about it with Aaron Cockrell a little later on. And then, of course, from a local standpoint, Remo, Aaron Cockrell with that round that he put together on Friday, making the cut, finishing in the top 50 for his first ever PGA Tour start. Um, for golf fans, it was maybe a perfect Sunday and an overall a huge weekend for the country, the sport, especially considering the black clouds of the Live Tour dominating so much of the oxygen amongst golf conversations. I agree. As far as golf goes, it looks like a great celebration at the Canadian Open. Awesome crowds. They got that hole where they put the jerseys on. They got a Zamboni there. Uh, pretty cool. But for me, I know we had Cup Final. For me, the weekend was definitely dominated by... CFL week one, and I thought we had uh, an excellent start in terms of games. The Thursday game went down to the wire, Calgary, Montreal. Uh, we had the home opener here, the raising of the back-to-back -back banner, which looked awesome, like, including a win, and we can get to that. Uh, and Saturday's game, you know, Saskatchewan getting off to a win, but I think the big story was in BC getting 30K. You know, 34K. 34,000 and Canadian Nathan Rourke coming in at quarterback and getting it done on his legs and through the air. And it seemed like a, and we're going to talk to Dusty later, but he was there. It seemed like it was a great cup style atmosphere at BC Place. So I thought it was a great week one for Seville. The games were awesome. I love, even if it was a, a blowout, I stayed in and watched for fantasy purposes there in the uh, in the BC game. Well, listen, it was an absolute shit kicking, a thrashing for the ages. And if anyone was worried uh, or still skeptical about the ability of a Canadian quarterback to get it done in the CFL, wait no longer. Now listen, maybe the Elks are just all-time bad defensively and maybe that was a little bit of a part of it, but I mean, you put up 59 on another team yeah. in the Canadian Football League. I believe they tied a record for the most points in the CFL in the first half of a game. Um, listen, it was it was a dream start for the BC Lions. Unfortunately, they're on the bye this week. They'll have to really work to maintain that momentum. But I think for anyone that loves the Canadian Football League, the scenes that we saw outside the stadium and more importantly in the stadium were exactly the way you'd like to see the CFL season kick off. And, you know, maybe our friends in Toronto can take a page or two out of what the BC Lions have done to seemingly turn things around quite quickly and really re-energize and invigorate a fan base um, that had been eroding year after year for the better part of the last decade plus. Um, I did, and then to have a performance like that, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better night. If, you, if you're just hoping for the health of teams in the Canadian Football League, that was a huge win all around. Well, yeah, I think you people, uh, sorry, I do think people enjoy seeing Chris Jones uh, get absolutely pummeled <laughs> like that, 59-15. There is some enjoyment, I think, among CFL fans seeing that. Um, uh, as far as the Bombers going, we'll get to the, the Trots watch and our, uh, the latest. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff from the weekend from Frank Cerevelli as well on the Jets dressing room. Uh, but let's get to the Bomber game. I mean, I was there first and foremost, just glorious to be back. Great night. Would have liked, and the crowd was 26th out. Would have loved to have seen a few more people there. Uh, but the folks that were there certainly had a great time. Uh, the weather was absolutely perfect. And, uh, the people that were there were, as I said, uh, certainly enjoying themselves. But I'm not sure anyone expected the sort of game that we had, Remo. And I know there's already people saying that the Bombers got maybe lucky. Listen, I don't think there's any doubt that they dodged a bullet. 
Uh, and as we'll talk about with Jeff Hamilton a little bit later, um, you know, for all the things the Bombers did do well or didn't do well, losing Zach Caleros, being called out on concussion protocol in the final minute and a half of the game and throwing in Drew Brown, uh, there was a lot of people shaking their heads going, I can't believe this is the way this game is going to finish up. And then Drew Brown comes off the bench you know, puts the Superman cape on, goes three for three, three straight first downs, 51 yards, gets him into a range, and then Mark Leggio bounds, uh, smashes a 25-26 yarder through for a win. Um, listen, there's so many things the Bombers could do better and will need to do better going forward, but that is a team with the championship pedigree that knows how to win even when they're leaning down the depth chart at the quarterback position. Yeah, that was... A very intense moment. Um, you know, it was a great drive to get the go-ahead touchdown, um, you know, from the Bombers. And then when Legio missed that extra point, you're like, oh, this might bite them in the ass. And it, it, it almost did with Ottawa driving down, them tying it up. Um, and there was the last second field goal. I will say, you know, the hit on Clarence, I thought, no, I didn't think it was the as far as hits on quarterbacks though, I didn't think it was the worst. I was definitely worried for him, but I thought it seemed like he was gonna play and it was the spotter who pulled him out. Now, considering that Dalton Schoen basically got his head taken off earlier in the game on the fumble, I was kind of surprised that um, you know, that they did take him out and they had said on the broadcast that that really doesn't happen, but they didn't like the way he was grabbing at his head and was slow to get up. Again, another player literally has hit in the head and had his helmet ripped off. Uh, so I was surprised, but I was pretty nervous seeing Drew Brown come in. You're like, oh, well, they're they're going to lose the first game. I thought it was done. I mean, we've seen backup quarterbacks here come in, and you know you don't get those kind of results, but for him to complete all his passes, march the team down the field, set up the go-ahead field goal, uh, what an incredible performance. I know a lot of people in God I saw already were nervous. It was a short one for the win, but uh, Legio came in and totally redeemed himself. What a what a game it was. There was definitely some stuff you didn't like. It wasn't a perfect game, but they a win's a win, and you're going to take it against the Ottawa team that are clearly much better uh, than they were last year. Quarterback controversy? Week one? No. QB controversy? No. I'm joking, of course. Absolutely not. But I will say this. I would have been the first one to say that if if what happened happened, starting quarterback with the game on the line taken out and having to go to either Prukop or Drew Brown, I, like most people, thought that the Bombers would have been screwed. So for Brown to perform... Actually, do we have the clip from Brown? Mm. Let, let's, uh, let's... let me... Give me a sec here to get Yeah, you'll get this up because, I mean, I don't think we were even sure, and it'll be interesting to get Hamilton's take on this later on as to who the guy that would be coming in uh, would be. I mean, last season, it was always Sean McGuire, and McGuire was the short yardage guy. And listen, Dakota Prukop was very effective in short yardage and also made a hell of a play on a botched snap on an attempted field goal to run for a first down. Um, and I think we've just seen enough of Prukop so far that the thought amongst many people was that he would be the guy going in. But it was Drew Brown, and as I said, he was perfect, three for three, 51 yards, moving the ball uh, and moving the chains, most importantly, getting him into field goal range. Um, and so to have a performance like that, albeit in limited minutes, but at the most important time of the game, um, there's a lot of things, as I mentioned, that they need to improve. We'll get to the running game, some of what happened in the secondary last night. 
but an absolute silver lining on top of the 1-0 record was the performance of the guy behind Zach Kolaris. Hey, we hope that we won't have to see more situations like that, and Zach will be healthy throughout the year. But knowing that you do have a guy that you know was able to leave you lead you to a win in crunch time, certainly possible. Uh, certainly very positive for the team. Drew Brown, uh, you know, was the unlikely hero at the end, and he spoke after the game. Here's a little bit of what uh, he had to say after Friday's season opening win. Uh, I mean, pretty excited that you know you get an opportunity like that. And, you know, obviously, anytime you can get a win like that, um, it's, it's exciting. But um, you know, I'm just happy that the guys, you know, trusted me in that situation. Tell me about the moment you realize Zach's being pulled out. What's going through your mind then? I mean, I just kind of saw him like on the ground, and instantly, you know, obviously you, you feel terrible in, in a situation like that. But I just tried to get past that and get loose, um, you know, because the team needs me, and and that's why, you know, I'm in that spot, you know. So. Uh, you know, I just, I wanted to go in there and execute. Um, and, you know, Buck did a great job. Just went tempo and, and uh, some of the things they did, you know, going zero and, and just taking what they gave me. Um, you know, it's it's something that you prepare for. Um, you know, not your whole life, but like, you know, this week we knew kind of like what they were going to try and do. And, and you just go out there and, and take what they give you. As cliche as that sounds. All right, so there is uh, Drew Brown, who was the unlikely hero on Friday night, leading the Bombers to a victory in those final minute and 33 seconds uh, before Mark Leggio kicked the game-winning field goal. A couple of areas of concern, though, Reem, on both sides of the football. Number one, there was lots of questions as to how this Bomber backfield would perform without Andrew Harris being around. Let's just say that it's a work in progress. Brady Oliveira, 10 carries for 17 yards on the ground. Johnny Augustine, three carries for 10 yards on the ground. I mean, the two quarterbacks, Zach Kolaris and Dakota Prukop, both had 10 yards. Dalton Schoen had three. There wasn't much of a running game, and that especially, I think, was costly in the second and third quarters when the Bombers were not able to put up points, were not able to move the chains. And then on the defensive side of the football, I knew that there might be some growing pains. I didn't think that we'd be talking about Winston Rose being the guy that was getting torched, but that's exactly what happened. And to be honest, it could have even been worse if Jalen Acklin didn't inexplicably drop what would have been about a 90-yard touchdown in the first quarter. Sorry, I don't know if the Bombers got thrown off by Jalen Acklin wearing number 23, which is typically a running back number, because I was certainly thrown off watching the game. Like, who's this running back running down the field and burning these guys? And... If you recall, he on the first drive of the Ticats last season, he had a deep touchdown, 37-yarder uh, from Jeremiah Masuli. So those guys do have that connection. Uh, definitely, uh, I, I agree with some of those concerns. As far as the running game go, I've been a big Johnny Augustine guy. His yards per carry was off the charts, but only got three touches. And Brady Oliveira just seemed to be running into the back of the O-line uh, over and over, and they just really couldn't get it going. And I think that's what, what led... Zach Caleros to go for that, uh, you know, call his own number on the play he got injured because I thought they were having such trouble moving the ball downfield. And he saw a lane and he took it. Maybe you'd probably slide feet first going forward. Probably better to protect yourself than get that first down. But it shows you what a what a gamer he is. I'll give you some positive notes. I thought Greg Ellingson in his first game as a bomber was awesome. Uh, again, as far as numbers go, he's wearing number two. 
I was a bit bit thrown off. Took me shout out Jovan Johnson. Yes, it's a bit of a, threw me off there. But he caught six balls for seventy four yards and a uh, touchdown, the first one of the game. And this Dalton Schoen, who we had heard all about in preseason from Willie Jefferson, from Ed Tate, uh, bombings coming on time with Dalton Schoen. And if you took him in fantasy, you were rewarded. He was pretty cheap. He had five catches uh, for a very nice sixty nine yards. Uh, but although he did have the one fumble, so there was some positive, but. Uh, uh, definitely some concerns. Look, it's the first game. You're going to take the win. Uh, I don't think they're in, you know, Grey Cup form yet. But if you had to make the power rankings after week one, I'm still putting Bombers up top. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say this about the running game. I mean, the actual rushing game wasn't there. There was a couple plays that were quite effective throwing. And Zach Caleros did a Patrick Mahomesian mm-hmm. push pass to Brady Oliveira that just about made it into the end zone and set up a score early on. So, I um, mean, listen, for game number one, um, there were a lot of things that I know Mike O'Shea will want to improve, but the bottom line is um, good teams find a way to win. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers did that. Although, Reem, it sets up a fascinating rematch on Friday back in Ottawa between these very same two teams. I would imagine the Ottawa Red Blacks are going to be getting ready for that one, really feeling like they left a few on the table. Because when you think about the dropped, sure touchdown on the Hail Mary, a dropped interception that should have happened, and maybe most incredibly the inexplicable time management gaffe at the end of the first half when the Red Blacks got a first down and left themselves no time with timeouts to kick a field goal. Um, you know, there certainly had to be a lot of regret on the other side because that was a very winnable game for a team that didn't win very much last season. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That's why we're saying the Bombers were, I don't know, lucky. Sometimes you got to be good to be lucky. But the Red Blacks left points on the table for sure at the end of the first half. You know, the dropped long ball, dropped pick. So it could have been different. But I think if you're a fan of Ottawa, you got to be pumped the way the teams look. They were miserable last year. They were terrible. They didn't have a quarterback. And I think Hamilton's probably, or after week one, maybe regretting going with Dane Evans over Masoli. Uh, Didn't go too well for Hamilton. I mean, Dane Evans had two interceptions, got pulled for Matt Schultz at the end of the game. And there's Masoli coming in for Ottawa. I mean, they look good with uh, Acklin and Darvin Adams. A bit of a revenge game uh, from him. Darvin Darvin was ready to go on Friday. And he was catching everything and around him. Uh, And I wasn't surprised at all that Darvin was going to try and have a big game against uh, against his former team. Yeah, I agree. So, look, it's week one. You get the win, move on. I am looking forward to the rematch. I'm curious what the line is going to be. I think it's going to be a lot closer. What did, didn't it start off at like 13? It was nine and a half and it fell to six and a half by six game and time. And, and, so, and really that action, that movement was all kind of on game day. I mean, we were getting ready to do the lock shop late Friday night or late Thursday night. And it was still nine and a half. By the mm-hmm. time we did the program, it was literally changing. And then it was six and a half by the time we got oh. on the air at one. Hey, one other interesting bit. And Leslie Mitch mentions this shout out to Derek Taylor. Uh, who, of course, did his first game as voice of the Bombers, first regular season game over on uh, 680 CJOB. DT had mentioned, and we had him on last week, and he does some really innovative um, work when it comes to breaking down film, situational plays. And one of the things that he came up with was over the last five years, there's no one in the Canadian Football League that's drawn more PI flags than Greg Ellingson. And he brought that up before the game to Greg Ellingson. And sure enough, early on in the game, 
there he was drawing a nice long PI uh, PI flag. And he mentioned after the game to Derek that he thought of him when he got that play. Um, uh, overall, though, great debut for DT and a great debut for Greg Ellingson. And you mentioned Remo. It seemed like some of that chemistry that he had years back with Zach Caleros was there right out of the gate in game number one. Yeah, uh, he looked pretty good. I was wondering who the Bombers, like, receiving, how it was going to shake out. I didn't see Dalton Schoen uh, being tied for attempts with set uh, attempts with uh, six. Him and Rashid Bailey. Uh, man, I, I think I, I said at the show, Rashid Bailey over, like, 40 yards. He had 37. So whoever's setting those lines at cool bet knows, knows what they're doing. And Nick Dembski contributing as well. So um, there's definitely room for improvement. I think the spread will be a lot closer, though, uh, this Friday in Ottawa. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like two, three for the Bombers. For the Bombers, the Bombers yeah. will still be the favorites. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, Ottawa looked really good. Jeremiah Masoli was uh, was an absolute stud. And, you know, they probably should have won that football game. But, you know, good teams find a way to win. That's exactly what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers did. By the way, I see Kabilis mentioning the Mega Powers United at the game. Hassan Kabilis, that is. I did get a chance to see Greg, or sorry, Jeff, excuse me, uh, got a chance to see Greg from Royal. Big thanks to Trevor Knott and the Knott Auto Corp gang for their great hospitality and a ton of Winnipeg Sports Talk listeners. So uh, I won't go through all the names, but it's great to see everyone. Thanks for saying hi. And we'll be doing that again all season long over at Investors Group Field. We'll talk more about the Bombers' performance and the Winnipeg Jets with Jeff Hamilton coming up a little bit later on. We are going to have Aaron Cockrell, Manitoba's own, join us in 10 or so after his debut at the RBC Canadian Open. Um, and Remo, we do have a Stanley Cup final, and we've got some news in and around the league. Listen, before we get to the Frank Cervelli clip spiking uh, in and around the Winnipeg Jets, uh, as well as the coaching, the Lightning do it again. Um, I am so fired up for this final, and I know you had been saying this before, like Tampa Dallas, Tampa Montreal, those were sort of all right, let's move on to the draft. Not this year. This really is the heavyweight tilt that I think everyone has wanted to see. And what can you say about the Lightning? I mean, they've now won 12 straight series, which is right up there with the greatest runs in NHL playoff history. Or I guess that's 11 now, excuse me. They're going to try to make it 12 against the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. And then you have the Challengers moving into the lightning zone. And that is the Stanley cup final to see whether they can finally get over the hump after some recent disappointments. Uh, I haven't been as fired up for a Stanley cup final in a long, long time than what we've got coming up beginning on Wednesday. I agree with you. Colorado, the big favorite coming into the season and Tampa, the defending two time cup champions, you know, the, Tampa in the last year, I was like, I'm sick of Tampa. I don't want to see them. And maybe it was because it wasn't a competitive series or Montreal or the, I was angry that the Jets uh, got hosed by a department of player safety, but, <laughs> but I know I was sick of them this year. I'm like, man, Tampa, we're watching history. This hasn't been done in a long time. This team is so good. So incredible. We have elite players all over. We've talked about Colorado's depth, uh, you know, McCarr being compared to Bobby Orr, Nathan McKinnon, your former number one overall draft pick, Ranton and Landis Cog, you know, so many great players in Colorado uh, Tampa, great players as well. Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, Hedman. The biggest difference is going to be goaltending. Uh, pretty clearly, Vasilevsky's established himself one of the best in the league. You know, could be the best ever. If, if the, you know, you're the goalie for three-time cup champions. Absolutely incredible. So I think that's going to be one other thing too. I mean, we're going to have either Tampa winning three times in a row or, or 
Corey Perry being on the losing team three times in a row. He was on Dallas. Maybe that's lost. a reason to pull for the abs. Yeah, is that is that pulling <laughs> you over to the abs side? Um, great. I think it's going to be great series, great hockey. So I I am fired up for this, and I think that's part of the reason why the playoffs have been so good this year. So many elite players um, all over in the teams that have been, you know, McDavid, McKinnon, and you know Tampa guys. So this is going to be awesome. Uh, no doubt. We'll have plenty of time over the next couple days to uh, tee up the final. I know Ken is heading out to Denver, I want to say tomorrow. So we'll certainly get Ken on with us, boots on the ground. And, you know, we'll be speaking about the, the final, but we'll also be speaking about what's happening in and around with the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, Remo, let's get to it. A couple of interesting things. First of all, when it comes to Trot's watch, we understand from uh, from a number of people, but this was a schedule that I think we had expected in some ways that you know we're now getting to the nitty gritty. Meetings have been had; decisions are going to need to need to be made. Uh, we are hearing that in all likelihood, certainly according to Elliot Friedman, that mid to late this week, teams will I think sort of get the idea from Barry Trotz as to where uh, he decides to go and you know what his plans are going forward and. Certainly, the Winnipeg Jets are right in the middle of that. Now, Kevin Weeks, our guy, the people's insider, didn't do a, hey, what's going on, you NHL fans, on the weekend, but he just did do a tweet, and it was a uh, keep an eye on tweet from Weeksy. Although the NHL coaching carousel remains fluid with oversupply of candidates versus vacancies, there might be some connection between the decision of who the NHL Jets and NHL Flyers hire for their head coach. It had been rumored that the Flyers were sort of thinking Barry Trotz or John Tortorella. Maybe if Barry Trotz takes himself out of the Flyers mix and takes the Jets job, Torts is the guy that'll be on the bench in Philly. Um, certainly all of this is speculation right now, Remo, but everything that we're hearing would indicate that maybe some clarity on the trot situation in particular, how that relates to the Winnipeg Jets might be available potentially as soon as puck drop on on uh, Wednesday night for game number one. I know traditionally they don't like to be having big news made in the league during the cup final. Um, although waiting another week or two for many teams, I'm not really sure is in the plan. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple days we start getting a little bit more clarity on this. Yeah, I agree. Wednesday is the... You know, game one, you know, do you have it Tuesday or Wednesday? Any announcements? And as you said, they don't like to have it during the cup final. And so Kevin Weeks had this tweet yesterday and everyone was also tweeting out this graphic that Elliot Friedman uh, showed on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. So he has, yeah, I don't know what you're making of this, but he lists Barry Trotz and the Jets are the number one. And then the Flyers, I don't know if there's something to say about the order. It's certainly not alphabetical. Because Winnipeg <laughs> That's a good point. would, would good be point. near the bottom. Um, and Bruce, so there's Bruce Cassie with Vegas. We talked about that last week. He's looking to get back in. Jim Montgomery, we talked about as well. Interesting. DeBoer has been linked to Dallas and Tortorella to Philly. So it's maybe Weeks is referring to Tortorella and Trotz up for that Philly job. And that could affect what happens with the Jets going forward. Rick Tockett, I mean, I have. I wonder if he's going to be the odd guy out. He can always go back to TV on TNT. I feel like TV is a pretty sweet job these days. Big you see time. The, you see the money being thrown around. At least I don't know what hockey guys are making, but NFL, this NFL offseason for get Brady, TV. 37 million a like, year or whatever it is. It is insane, and TNT is doing a great job. They have that awesome panel. So 
you know, if he doesn't get those, he can go back and, you know, maybe Cassidy goes to Vegas. He has that relationship with McPhee. It's going to be interesting here. We've got a couple days. Maybe we'll get some news and, and we'll be here talking about it, but interesting, other, interesting. Yeah, well, this. for sure. And just if you're listening on the podcast, Barry Trotz has uh, the Jets logo first, then Philly, Vegas, Detroit. Cassidy goes Vegas, Detroit, De uh, sorry, Vegas, Dallas, Detroit, Philly, and then Jets with a question mark. They said they think there's been some reaching out, but again, we know where the Jets are mm -hmm. prioritizing. And Jim Montgomery, Vegas, Jets, and Bruins. Listen, the other story that we will touch on with Jeff Hamilton a little bit later on um, came from Frank Saravelli on the weekend in the DFO podcast. Um, and this is not, I would say, breaking news, but somewhat interesting and certainly noteworthy to hear from Frank on more of what he's hearing on Mark Shifley's situation with the Winnipeg Jets. Here's what, uh, here's what Frank had on the topic a couple days ago. Putting him in the 25 spot on a 25 man board is the old cover your ass position. <laughs> Make sure that this guy doesn't get traded uh, because it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think the jets have some real soul searching to do. I think they have some significant problems in that locker room. I think Mark Shifley is someone that has developed a reputation of being a complainer, someone that is more or less miserable most of the time. I don't know whether that has to do with the team, the lack of success the last couple of years, the market, living there. I don't know what his issue is, but it's, it is real. They have catered and pandered to him at just about every turn. And I think the act is wearing thin. I don't think the Jets want to trade him because I think they know that they'll never get equal value in return. Yep. And that's the problem. And I think they've also done so much work trying to assemble this team with Shifley and Dubois down the middle that they're not ready to give up on it. But I will say this, Mark Shifley will have some say in what happens next. If he publicly, privately says, get me out of here, I'm not coming back. Well, then that's a different story and they might have to. All right, so there's Frank Cervelli from the DFO Daily Faceoff podcast um, from a couple days ago. And as I said, I mean, none of this is earth-shattering, and we've heard rumblings like this before. I mean, it's been quite clear. I mean, anyone that was paying attention last season could pretty much see that all was not right within that room, and Shifley was a central figure in it. And I'm not sure I completely agree with the um, notion that it's impossible to win a Mark Shifley trade. I mean, I still do think that with two years left and the contract that Mark has, there is some real value in the National Hockey League. I guess we'll see about that. But it does open up the conversation of why it has been discussed as much as it has, Remo, that you know, when it comes to what has been plaguing the Winnipeg Jets internally, that it's some in some cases, there may be some level of addition by subtraction from a dressing room and maybe off the ice perspective. Um, but what does that do about the on-ice product? And I know we'll talk about that with Jeff a little bit later on. Um, as I said, not earth-shattering news, but interesting to hear that from someone as respected as Frank from outside the market. Oh, yeah. Very interesting hearing Frank, you know, national reporter with Daily Faceoff, calling him, what, a complainer? they've pandered and catered to him and miserable most of the time i mean that's pretty pretty harsh uh, comments there from frank and 
we posted over the weekend on our channel. Uh, you know, check it out if you haven't. Your conversation with Marat from Friday, uh, just about possible trade scenarios. And some, you know, we get comments once in a while saying, you know, Jets fans are running players out of town. I mean, this isn't. This is, I don't think that's what this is. This is, you know, national reporters like Darren Drager, you know, a month ago on Rod Peterson saying he doesn't expect Shifley to be part of the Jets organization, and as well Frank, national reporter. I don't think this is a fan-driven thing, but we had the James Patrick clip a while ago. It's seemingly, this is a, becoming an open secret among everyone about the Jets dressing yeah. room, and, um, you know, you hope they can fix it, but however, you do have, you know, Dubois as an RFA. I think that negotiation this summer is going to be absolutely huge and probably could affect what happens, uh, you know, as Mark Shifley's status with the Winnipeg Jets, so... Uh, or vice is, versa, or yeah. vice versa. And this is the thing. I know people want to talk, oh, the fans are turning on or whatnot. Like, who cares about the fans? I mean, obviously we do as being them. And, you know, you want to have a good feeling about your team going forward, but it will be about performance. But it's quite clear that what happened with the team internally last year did not help them on the ice at all. And I've been saying since last year, they got to figure that out first and foremost. I mean, to, to expect guys to come back in and have completely different results if you've got the same problems that have been around the club, I'm not sure that it happens. So that's why we've talked about a key change in the leadership group, um, you know, with some potentially players that, you know, before, like Mark Shifley, that were thought to be untouchable, potentially on the move. I also wonder, you know, if that was the environment, uh, and, and, you know, we know that Shifley and Wheeler have been the dominant personalities and players in the club. They got the keys from Paul Maurice. It was their room. Um, you know, do guys want to come back and be a part of that again? I'm not sure. You know, we can talk about Winnipeg, the city. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, the vibe around this hockey team, which was miserable. I mean, for the better part of certainly the second half of the season, and as I've mentioned a number of times on this show, I mean, we were seeing evidence of this dating all the way back to the second half of the 2019 season. So uh, it was interesting. We thought we'd play that for you, uh, a little bit of an update on that. But I mean, certainly uh, I don't think any big decisions will be made until the biggest decision is made. And that, of course, is who will be the next head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Jeff Hamilton for the Winnipeg Free Press is going to join us in 20 minutes or so, and we will break all of that down with Hammer, as well as his thoughts covering the Bombers' first win of the season. Uh, we're going to talk a little golf. What a weekend it was for Aaron Cockrell, Stony Mountain native, back here in home in Winnipeg this morning. He's going to be jumping on the program before we do that. Uh, big thanks to our friends at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. We've been following them on Twitter and Instagram, seeing all the monster fish that their guests are pulling out. And the funny thing is, is as great as it is to pull out those big fish, maybe even better is the time you're spending off the water at Big Molly's at the Aikens Lake Camp with the amazing people that run Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. Talk to our good friend Pitt Turan at Aikens Lake on Twitter or find them online at AikensLake.com about how you can book a once-in-a-lifetime fly-in fishing trip right here in Manitoba where you can be on the water in a couple of hours from the city of Winnipeg online at AikensLake.com. Uh, Wallace and Wallace is everywhere, as you've seen. They're Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists. All over the city, you'll see their fences and trucks as they've been serving residential and co customer, uh, commercial customers for over 75 years. Uh, whatever kind of fence you need, they have got you covered. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. 
They've got the right fence. And if it's time to replace your garage door, Wallace & Wallace also has Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give them a call at 452-2700. One of the Wallace experts will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. And you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop into their showroom off Lawson Road off of Keniston. Hey, our friends at Culligan Water are uh, busy getting ready for the summer. Many of you getting ready to head out for some quality time at the cottage, whether it's the home, your cottage, or business. Wallace uh, Culligan has you covered for all of your water needs. Softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services. 1200 Sargent Avenue is the HQ, family-owned and for over 65 years in Manitoba. 694-5180, and you can always get them online at drinkculligan.com. And hey, a big shout-out to our friends at Royal Sports. It was in there on the weekend. Um, man, they've got a great selection of new Bomber gear. Many people, man, we saw a ton of those new alternate jerseys that the Bombers are wearing. You can pick those up at Royal along with exclusive back-to-back -back, uh, champions hats and much more. And while you're there, you can check out the expanded soccer section, softball, baseball, of course, the biggest hockey department in the city, bikes, fitness gear, and more, not to mention fun summer activities like tennis and disc golf. It's all there waiting for you at 750 Pemina Highway. And check them out on Instagram at Royal Sports Pamina. Give them a follow for the latest merchandise drops and sales coming up. All right. Coming off his first ever tournament on the PGA Tour, Manitoba's Aaron Cockrell made the cut, played the weekend, and joins us now on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Aaron Cockrell, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk, and congratulations on an amazing week. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's uh, good to be home and nice to have uh, an off week here in Winnipeg. No doubt about it. You know, we were just talking off air. I mean, considering the travel that you've had, and we'll get to, you know, what life is like on the European tour. Uh, yesterday must have been a breeze coming home after playing in Toronto. Yeah, easiest travel day uh, I'll have all year. Two-hour flight home uh, beats beats the long ones from Europe. So that that was that was nice. <laughs> You know, all last week, uh, we and so many people involved in the Manitoba golf community were fired up to see you get your opportunity to play on the PGA Tour, make your de tour debut. And obviously, we were on pins and needles through Friday's action, and you had just a great round. I mean, we're you know in the top 25 heading into Saturday. Tell us about the first couple days, teeing it off for the first day, and how it went for you to make the cut, finish top 50, and have such a great result. Yeah, I was I was definitely nervous the first day. Just you know, before the round, I I didn't tee off until like two o'clock the first day, so it's just a lot of time to kill in the morning. And uh, first PJ Tour event, and I got there, and there was there was really big crowds. Like I was asking some of the boys, and they said that was more than what they usually have. Like even some of the big guys said it felt kind of like a major. Um, so I, you know, we get decent crowds in the European Tour, but not quite like that. And especially being a national open as well, it was. Uh, it was it was a big stage and uh yeah i i didn't i was i kind of had a strange round the first day but played really solid the second day and uh was able to play the weekend and didn't have my best stuff on the weekend but it was a good experience uh, i mean you know you as a, as a young guy here i mean it seems i can imagine growing up in stony mountain and playing at toulon and kicking around here in southern manitoba the pga tour seems so far away when you were starting at it you've had a really interesting path and we'll talk about it going overseas but uh what was it like hitting that first tee shot and really just being around there for the days leading up to holy smokes i'm i'm playing with rory mcelroy justin thomas and the best players in the world yeah growing up in stony mountain and playing at the toulon golf and country club the pga tour is 
could not have seemed further away. Um, so to to play in an event was really cool. I mean, growing up the way I did, that wasn't really in the cards. Um, so to to have that start and, and play decent and and you know have my name up there through a couple of days and uh, it was it was a it was a great week. You know, we'll get back to the the weekend and obviously what's happening now with your pro career. But tell us a bit about starting off. I mean, I know you were a kid that played a whole bunch of different sports. At one point, did you get the uh, uh, the golf, you get hooked by golf. And at what point did it seem realistic that you might be able to do this more than, you know, for fun with your buddies at Toulon? Yeah. I mean, growing up, like most other kids probably around here, hockey in the winters. And then I was baseball and golf in the summers. Um, and I played my first tournament when I was 15 uh, and I won and I just kind of got the bug from that. Um, and, and yeah, going forward, I mean, so, sorry, what was the last part of your question there? Well, I, I mean, you know, you got hooked in, in into golf, but I mean, at what point did it sort of feel like, okay, you know, I'm good. Maybe I've got some potential to do more than, uh, you know, kick it around the, uh, the tracks here in Manitoba yeah. and not really, you know, try and make a go of it. That, that took a while. I, maybe I'm still figuring that out that I can, uh, I, I can get some belief in myself now that I, if I, if I play well, I, I can play with these guys and, uh, it took me a while to to figure that out. When I was graduating university, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and my coach was the one who kind of pushed me to turn pro and said that he had seen guys play before and thought I was good enough to give it a go. Um, so honestly, it probably wasn't for him. I'd be working a desk job somewhere. Um, so I, I, I never would have seen this as my career path graduating from university. But I'm I'm so glad that I've gone this way and that this has happened. It's been an unbelievable life experience in the last few years have have been really really fun well in the world of pro golf i mean there's a whole bunch of different paths i mean many people go canadian tour and corn ferry tour i mean most of the north american players do that uh, a small group have gone overseas and you're one of them and now a regular on the dp european tour how did all that come about aaron and uh, you know was that a matter of you know opportunities that were presented to you or were some other doors closed and you figured hey if i'm going to make this happen we're going to take a different route yeah i mean when you're starting out, you got to go to the Q schools and there's only a few routes. There's kind of the corn Ferry tour now to get yourself through onto the PJ tour and European tour is probably maybe one, a one B kind of, if you look at that. And I did the corn Ferry Q school, I got some status, but didn't really get anything out of it. So I thought, you know, that kind of sucks. I'll try something else. So the next year went over to Europe and I did the exact same thing, but through that I got full status on the tour below. Um, so I was able to play a full year on the challenge tour, which is their second tour in Europe. Uh, and I also got some starts on the European tour that year. Um, so it was a great learning experience. And I just got a lot more out of it. Um, and so I did the Q school again the following year and finished fifth and got through and got status. And uh, I've been over there for three seasons now. Uh, you know, whenever you talk to players, um, you know, the guys that are established, they're playing for, you know, huge sums of money and, you know, a putt here or there can make or break, you know, a big check. But I would imagine in a lot of ways, the Q school has to be the most pressure that a golfer, um, you know, anywhere other than the top, top level feels. What was it like finally getting through? And have you ever had a feeling of relief like it when you got that card and know that you're pretty much guaranteed to play the events and can start planning a season? Yeah, it's, it's the most stressful situation in all of sports. I'd have to imagine. I mean, I, I don't even really know how you could compare it if you're going to like a tryout or camp at the Jets or something like that. But it, it's it's you you basically have a really good job or you don't. Um, and there's thousands, honestly, of people trying for 30 spots. 
when you break down all the numbers. So highly competitive. And uh, yeah, the last day when I got through, it's just, it's, it's six days of golf. It's, it's a grind. It's tough. Um, so that was, that was very rewarding to get through. And that's one of the only other tournaments that my parents have actually ever gone to or been at. So they were there and we were able to celebrate together. Um, so yeah, Q school is tough, but I think it's something that should be televised moving forward. It's really a compelling story for a lot of people who kind of understand the logistics of it. There's no doubt about it. Um, what was it like when you finally got that tour card? Uh, like just mentally, I mean, for the stress that you mentioned goes into that to, to, and how did that maybe help your game uh, when she, you know, teed it up on the tour, know that, you no, know, next week you're going to be in that event. And, you know, a month later, I mean, you kind of know that. If you don't play well one day, you're not out on your ass and trying to figure out a way to get back in. Yeah, it just it just um, it opens up a lot of doors and provides you with a lot more opportunity, knowing that you can you know plan a bit of a schedule and know that you're going to play twenty some tournaments in a season uh, and not be worrying about where you're going to be playing that year. It's just uh, it takes some of the stress off, I guess, and uh, it just yeah, it's provided me a ton of opportunities. What's it like being the Canadian on the European tour? I mean, uh, you, you certainly, I mean, there's, it's great to see the amount of Canadians that are breaking in through in golf, but um, that tour does not seem to be populated by many guys from our country. There's, there's a lot of guys who have tried recently in the last few years, but nobody's gotten through. So hopefully somebody can do it so I can uh, have a, a running partner out there. But uh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I get, you know, the stereotypical Canadian jokes thrown at me every now and then, but uh, I've, I've got some good buddies over there now and um there's honestly not a ton of Americans either. Um, there's maybe 10 guys or so. So um, you kind of run with the people who all speak English, depending on what crew or country, you know, they're from. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's fun. And, and I do get a decent amount of Canadian support for Canadians who are living abroad whenever we're in a certain country. People yell, oh, Canada or go Winnipeg or whatever. So it's it's fun. How um was there one particular breakthrough um on the big tour over overseas that you sort of really felt that you belonged? I mean, you've had some great results so far. You've been very close to getting into the winner's circle. I mean, uh, you know, at one point did you realize, okay, yeah, you know, I do belong here and I can go head to head with these guys? Yeah, like my first couple of years, I, I had a lot of good rounds one, rounds two, rounds three, and maybe not able to put all four together. Um, and then la it was maybe. The end of last year, I had a fin I finished fourth in South Africa. I was in the final group on on Saturday and the second last group on Sunday, and the cameras were out, and I, I felt a little bit more comfortable in that situation. And then earlier this year in Kenya, I had a good weekend to move up on the weekend and finish second. Uh, and then I was in that same position. I had a chance a few weeks later to win in Spain, and um, it's just kind of been a gradual build. Um, and every time you're in a new situation, you're going to learn from it and hopefully be better prepared the next time it comes around. Aaron Cockrell's with us uh, back at home here in the peg for a week and then back out to the DP European tour. I have to ask you, I mean, the biggest story in golf, one of the biggest stories in sports has been about this live tour. And I mean, you know, here it's about some of the top players that are leaving. I imagine, though, it has been a huge, huge topic amongst the European tour um, in that, you know, with it being there overseas, the event there in London. Um, you know, this has been, uh, you know, and some people see it as a threat to the BDP tour. I mean, how, uh, what's it been like the scuttlebutt? What are you hearing in the clubhouse? What are the players saying in and around other than going, are they really paying that much money for these tournaments? You're putting me on the spot here. Um, it's, it seems like it's all guys are talking about now. And, um, I mean, the money is huge. It's, uh, it's obviously appealing to a lot of guys. And I think a lot of guys are going to maybe start moving over and, we honestly haven't really heard anything from Keith from our side. Uh, I've heard rumblings. It could go either way. And 
I mean, we have a tournament next week in Munich that I think maybe eight guys who played in the live event London in London are signed up to play in Munich and they're still on the entry list. Um, whereas the PGA tour has banned them. And I know there's a strategic alliance between the DP world tour and the PGA tour. So you'd have to think that they would fall on the same, take the same stance, but I don't know. Um, it's going to be like, this is the craziest thing that's happened in the world of golf in the last 50 years. That I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Well, oh, for sure. I mean, you've got some big names and, you know, we've really seen lines drawn in the sand. And the one thing is, and I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of geopolitical things around it, but you know, for players that, you know, might not be a Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, or a Bryson DeChambeau, the opera, I mean, hell, the dude that finished last shot 25 over and got a check for 120 grand. And I mean, for a lot of things, that is life changing, especially for guys on the tour that you're on. Yeah, like I, I know a lot of guys who played and just because his name is Phil Mickelson doesn't mean he's as good as he used to be I, without, you know, I mean, that's pretty blunt, but. I, I knew there was a few guys playing who were going to play well. So Henning Duplessis, who I've played with a bunch on the tour, and Scott Vincent are great players, and they're playing great, and I knew they were going to play well. Henning finished solo second, and he made $3 million. I mean, the, the kid is 23 years old. He's from South Africa. Like, that is life-changing. Um, so, you know, say what you want about it and whatever, but for people like that, like, that's a big deal, and that's life-changing. So I was happy to see that. Well, uh, the bottom line is that with all the controversy, what happened here in our country with the RBC Canadian Open was almost a dream weekend for the PGA Tour. You had six Canadians make the cut. I mean, you had your great debut. And at the end, you got Tony Finau, Rory McIlroy, and Justin Thomas in a threesome playing in that final group. I mean, I know you were around the course first playing. Um, for your first PGA Tour event, you got a pretty special place to start. And I got to say, I mean, the, the fans of Canada showed up. I mean, everybody seemed to be talking about just what an amazing weekend uh, or week overall it was there in Toronto. Yeah, I, I think the PGA Tour with the live event going on opposite could not have had a better, you know, scenario happen with, with that star-studded leaderboard. Um, and the atmosphere out there was insane. I mean, the 16th hole, like their rink, like all the guys are banging on the boards when you're hitting it and um, just surrounded the whole way. Like it was really fun to be a part of on, on Saturday, I was in the group behind JT and looking up some of the fairways. Like it was like five, eight deep on both sides of some of the fairways. Like it was, it was really cool. It was a great atmosphere. Speaking of the 16th hole, uh, you got to uh, rep the hometown and the rep, the home province a little bit, throwing the 81 of Kyle Connor on. Uh, how did that come about? And uh, what was the reaction when you threw on the blue of the Winnipeg Jets on the course? I did it twice. One of the days I actually got heckled a little bit from some crazy Leafs fans. And then uh, on Sunday I did it and uh, it was a little bit better reception. Um, yeah, no, it was cool. It's kind of the hockey theme. So I wanted to throw on the jersey. I played golf with Kyle last year. Um, and I know we, we're kind of tied in with the same financial manager and he had a jersey and sent it over my way. And I thought it would be a, he's a pretty good guy, you know, to represent the Jets to, to have out there. And I thought it was a good, uh, good jersey to have on for that hole. That was a great choice. And I know a lot of people around here were, uh, first of all, just happy to see you out there. But it was really cool, kind of giving a bit of a nod to uh, the people back home. So, Aaron, you make the cut, you finish top 50. I mean, what does this mean going forward? I know the plan is to go back to the DP Tour, but, um, you know, with the performance like this, does it open up any other doors or does it just make you more prepared when this opportunity comes again to uh, hopefully have an even better, better, week, better week? Yeah, I think hopefully that secures another invite for next year. Um, 
But in terms of PGA Tour status, I'm not 100% sure. We have a couple events now that are co-sanctioned with the PGA Tour, so the Barracuda and the Barbasol. Those are coming up, so you never know. Maybe there's potential for an invite into one of those. Um, but for the rest of this year, I've, I've had a good start to our season on the DP World Tour. I'm in the, I think I'm 40th on the money list. Um, so my focus is to, to go back over there and, and finish out the season strong. And if, if I have a good end to the season, there could be a lot of other opportunities that come from that as well. Um, and I'm going to do some open, the British Open qualifier in two weeks time. Um, so yeah, it's uh, getting into the summer now and it's uh, just, just keeps on going. There's really no off season for us. So, you know, and you've traveled all around the world with this tour uh, back at home. But what does a week off during the season look like for you back here in Winnipeg? What do you got planned? Is it just a lot of R and R? Are you going to be playing golf? I mean, what's up? Today I was shoveling dirt and we're planting flowers. I had to get a shower before I came on here. So, um, no, I'm I'm very happy to do normal day-to-day -day tasks when I come home. And a lot of people are always asking me to play golf. And to be honest, I don't really want to play a lot of golf when I'm home. Um, the first few days are always pretty relaxed. And uh, before I take off, I'll get some practice and get a few games in before I hit the road next Monday. I, I imagine, too, uh, one of the things you'll do is probably pop into some of the people that have been, um, you know, so helpful for you in your career. I mean, I know the folks at Princess Auto, George Sigurdsson. I mean, there's a big group of people here from your home province that have really helped you out get to this point, huh? Yeah, 100%. Um, Bob Tallman, George, um, Charlie Spiring, Brian Coughlin. Um, there's been a lot of people who, when I was starting out on the Canadian tour and I had no money and it was, it's tough traveling around, they were there to help me and and. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to have done it without them. Um, so very appreciative to them and uh, helping me get to where I am now. Well, I can tell you what, I know that, I mean, we saw the scuttlebutt. I bumped into a couple of those guys, the excitement about, um, you know, team Aaron Cockrell over the course. And I know your family and friends were out there as well. It's been a special week, for I think, for everyone that's, uh, you know, has a little piece of getting to you where you are. And I'll say this, uh, you, you, considering the way you, what you've done so far this season and obviously the great performance out at St. George's, um, a very, very bright future and hopefully many visits with us after big tournaments with you back in your hometown here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't have imagined this is where I'd be growing up where, you know, we are. We don't exactly have the greatest uh, golfing season and, and whatnot, but uh, it, it's been a fun ride and uh, I appreciate you having me on. Hey, thanks so much for doing this, man. All the best. We'll catch up later on this season, but uh Enjoy the time back at home, even if it's involved housework and planting flowers. And uh, uh, go get it when you get back out there overseas. Uh, we'll be following you. Will do. Thanks, Thanks. for having me on. Uh, great chat with Aaron Cockrell. Hopefully he has a uh, very fun, relaxing week back here in Winnipeg before I heading back overseas to continue the DP World Tour. Irish and Scottish Opens coming up. And then, of course, the British Open, which he is still trying to qualify for. Um, as I mentioned right off the top of the show, huge week for golf here in Canada. Brooke Henderson wins her 11th LPGA title. Rory McIlroy in a thrilling final round wins the RBC Canadian Open. And of course, Aaron Cockrell from uh, Stony Mountain, Manitoba, making his PGA Tour debut, making the cut and finishing in the top 50. All of our, all of our golf reports all year long brought to you by our friends at Breezy Bend. Find out more on making Breezy your long-term golfing home for you and your family at breezybend.ca or by giving our pal Corey Johnson a call over at the course. Um, hey, many of you have probably got a little bit of work done on the weekend, but you know, you know, you'd like to save the weekends to make the most of. Well, Manitoba Battery has got you covered. Whatever you're working on, whether it's a hot rod, whether you got a golf cart, a boat, 
um, Sea-Doo and more. Whatever you need a battery for, Manitoba Batteries got you covered. You'll be shopping local. And most importantly for you, Winnipeggers, you're going to save time and save money over the big box stores. Manitoba Battery has everything you need, consistently priced lower than Costco and Canadian Tire. And now they've got extended spring and summer hours during the week up until 8 p.m. to make it as easy as possible for you to get down there to 1026 Logan Avenue and get everything you need. You can give them a call at 783-8787. Speak to one of the battery experts there to get your order ready to pick up quick and easy. And you could also check them out online for everything they've got for you over at manitobabattery.com. As I mentioned, a big cheers to our good friend, Trevor Knott. Of course, Knott Auto Corp, great supporters of the Bombers. Got a chance to take in the game with Trev and some of the Knott team. Uh, and of course, we talked a lot about some of the cars on the lot right now. And if you are looking for a new vehicle, Wait no further and go directly to Waverly and McGillivray and check out everything on the lot over at Knott, including Manitoba's best selection of Tesla vehicles. They've got the Tesla Experience program as well. If you want to learn more about the switch to an electric vehicle, and the bottom line is whatever you're looking for, if there's a specific make and model, talk to the experts at Knott and they'll get it for you at the best possible price. Why not get into the car of your dreams at the best price around? with Not Auto Corp, Waverly and McGilvery, and online at not.ca. And if you missed the show on Friday, uh, we've teamed up with Little Brown Jug to try to be the closers in this Winnipeg Jets coaching search. That's right, Barry Trotz on the table. If you decide to come here to Winnipeg, free beer for life and a Barry Trotz beer that you can be involved in uh, in the creation of. Um, oh, listen, Little Brown Jug, um, another big weekend. The Good Times Variety Pack is out for the summer with the Hefeweizen Saison, Black Lager, and Belgian IPA. And, of course, the great taste of the flagship brand, 1919. They got a summer cider as well. Check it all out down at the Tap Room on William Avenue. Or you can grab it at your local beer store or Manitoba Liquor Marts. And don't forget, gang, June 24th, so a week Friday, we're going to be doing a live show down at Little Brown Jug. So if you can uh, get out of work for the afternoon or if you're off, make sure to join us June 24th afternoon, normal time of 1 o'clock, and then we'll hang around and have a few pints after the program as well. That's at Little Brown Jug down on William Avenue. All right, we are going to talk a little more CFL Dustin Nielsen will join us and uh, we'll talk to him about the weekend, everything that went on, including the two games that he called, the one in here in Winnipeg and Saturday's big crowd in BC. Uh, but first, let's welcome in Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press for his weekly visit for the latest on the Jets and the Bombers' very narrow win on Friday night. Hammer, how was the weekend? I mean, I do want to talk Jets. I do want to talk Bombers with you, but I'm quite interested into how the garage sailing went as well as your movie experience what is Screen X? So on the on the most uh, recent edition of Jeff's Junk, my garage selling endeavors went well. Uh, nothing too crazy to write home about. Got a couple toys for my nephew, a few books, a um, couple of kitchen things that I needed, uh, all at a very, very, very fair price, all combined, all in for less than $30. Um, very happy with uh, with the pickups, but nothing too nothing too exciting that I want to show you. Oh, I did get my buddy Hairball a uh, Edmonton Oilers laces, which I know he's jacked about. He's actually he was actually out at the PGA um, at the Canadian Open in Toronto this weekend, so just uh, just sprinkled a 
you know, I'm sure that will be his highlight of his weekend was getting my text about those laces. But uh, Screen X. Yeah, what about this Giddy movie up. experience? Uh, you, so I didn't know what Screen X was when I was looking to, because everyone's talking about how amazing Top Gun is and how incredible the movie, you know, um, you know, after all these years and, and whatever. So it certainly was an amazing movie, but, uh, and I won't spoil it for anybody, but I, I was looking up tickets and it was like, you know, how they have the, all these different options for movie theaters now, right? Whether it's the VIP stuff or, you know, the bigger chairs or recliners or whatever. Anyways, I'm, I'm going through these options and, and it gives me this Screen X option. I'm like, it's about $5 more a ticket, I believe. And I'm like, what is this stuff? Um, so I, I just clicked on it blindly. You know, I like the finer things in life. So I, I did the, you know, I think $3 upgrade on each ticket. Uh, and when I got into the theater, what it is, is they incorporate the two side walls. So you're watching the movie, obviously, on the screen, but then the two side walls have part of the movie. Now, it's not the whole movie. It's not the whole movie. It's just like different parts of me. It's a good chunk of the movie, not just to be fair. Like, it's not like three or four different times. It's a good chunk. Um, but it's crazy. And they give you like this. What I thought was cool is they give you this like kind of like they promote Screen X before we actually got to the movie. So like they put this thing on and I was with the person I was with beside me. I said, I was like, my heart was racing um, about like about how intense it was. And I certainly recommend Screen X. I don't know if I'll go back to a single screen uh, experience again, Hus. There you are, some some inside movies on Winnipeg Sports Talk, and we certainly real needed a guest to do that because <laughs> I don't know when the last time I was even in a theater. All that being said, uh, I do want to get to the Bombers' big win in week one uh, with you, Jeff, but let's start off with our favorite topic here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, the Winnipeg Jets head coaching search, Trots Watch. Some interesting reports coming out over the course of the weekend. Mm -hmm. The People's Insider, Kevin Week, saying... It sounds like it's Trotz and John Tortorella in Philly and the Winnipeg and Philly jobs might be linked. Um, and then Elliot Friedman earlier today saying he do, does think that there could be some sort of movement or clarity later on this week. Uh, what uh, What's coming across your desk right now when it comes to Trotz watching the Jets coaching search? Yeah, well, you know, not to piggyback, but just but to piggyback, uh, kind of the same thing. I mean, we said last week, I mean, the reality is it's not – you know, you can look at this deadline this week, whether it's midweek, late week, you know, I'm hearing as early as tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, again, you know, that's Elliot Freeman's, Freeman's report, but you know, it's just, it goes with what we said last week. I mean, it has to happen sooner than later. And if it's not Barry Trotz making his decision, it's the teams having to make their decision, right? I mean, you, we know that the Winnipeg Jets have Barry Trotz at the top of their list. I can say that there's a bit of, dialogue within the organization about Barry Trotz I know there's a, a bit of a growing narrative here that Trotz maybe isn't what every team wants or needs or that a player has and I don't know if this is a building narrative for the teams that don't get Barry Trotz that they can kind of justify you know their, their loss obviously for Winnipeg it will hurt he's at the top of their list you know if you were to take you know NFL fantasy picks and, and create positions into tiers. If you took the tiers of coaching, particularly when it comes to Winnipeg, you'd have Barry Trotz in the number one tier. And then the rest would be in the, you know, the various tiers below. So, you know, they want him, you know, that he, you know, you know that he would create all those or answers to a lot of the questions and some of the issues mm -hmm. that this team has, including this team needs to win this hire. 
So a Barry Trotz would be a massive win. It would rejuvenate the, you know, the the fan base and, and all that stuff. I find the I find the the Philadelphia report interesting. Um, you know, I guess they would be linked, right? Because if Torella gets it, then Trotz doesn't, and vice versa. So I, you know, I, and and I think Philly's an interesting one here because I had heard early on in the negotiations that he, you know, Philly wasn't really at the top of Trotz list. Uh, they're obviously a bit of a mess there. Um, they don't believe they're in a big uh, as mess as as you know their their record would suggest with how they're spending money and you know they did go through a lot of injuries and stuff like that. Um, but I could totally see Philadelphia upping their offer. I could see them being like, we need to turn this around. We have a rabid fan base. We all know how crazy Philadelphia fans are. Um, you know, so you either bring in a guy like John Tortorella or you really, you know, you really do appease a guy like like Barry Trotz and maybe you give him some opportunity to grow in management. We all know that's what Barry Trotz wants, not necessarily right now, but eventually. And, you know, as I talked about before, the Jets felt that they were in a position where they could offer him, you know, quote unquote, a long term solution, whereas all these other other teams, some of which are, are certainly more high profile than the Winnipeg Jets, um, you know, want him now to fix their issues today. And no one wants to, you know, and I also think it has to do with the organization. Right. I mean, not a lot of teams, GMs will want to be hiring their replacement in Barry Trotz and maybe they don't have that corporate ladder climb like a guy like Kevin Sheveldoff may have with Winnipeg, right? If you can bring Barry Trotz into a management role, assuming the Jets are still doing, you know, are doing well under his tutelage as a head coach, then you could probably make the excuse to move Kevin Sheveldoff into a higher role. Obviously, that would be harder to do if the Jets weren't as good. Anyways, a little bit off topic here, but the reality is, is Barry Trotz needs to make his decision sooner and later sooner than later and he's had enough time to mull over his options you know I don't think there's going to be many more teams here that are firing their head coaches and offering him a spot I don't see the two Stanley you know the 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 four finalists here necessarily moving on from their coaches so um, I think you you know if you're Barry Trotz you kind of need to make a decision Um, you know again people will say he needs you know he can take his time and he certainly has had time but whether you're the Winnipeg Jets, whether you're the Vegas Golden Knights, whether you're the Detroit Red Wings, or whether you're the Philadelphia Flyers, all teams that have been reported to have interest in, in Barry Trotz, um, you need to figure it out now. Where it becomes interesting with the Jets, and we talked about this last week, Huss, is that they have a mess. You know what I mean? Like they have a mess beginning in the locker room uh, to their, you know, to personnel, to their structure. Um, to not have, you know, they need to make that move sooner than later. So then they can start answering all the other questions. And that's nothing to say of the draft that's coming up next month. So um, as far as I'm, I'm told, I mean, if I could add anything, I, I know there's pressure from inside true North to move on from Barry Trotz if they don't get an answer sooner than later. But I have a hard time thinking the guy at the top um, is thinking anything different so long as Barry Trotz hasn't put pen to paper anywhere else. Well, and, and this may be a waste of time for a question because I'm pretty sure we may have helped close the deal on Friday with the offer of free beer for life from Little Brown Jug and Barry Trotz's own beer if he does decide to come here to Winnipeg. But if, it does, but, if, if, but if that is not the case, um, where do you think the Jets turn? I mean, we've talked about a lot of different names. We've heard a number of different names being linked to Winnipeg. If Barry Trotz is out of the mix, and I certainly hope that's not the case, where do you think they start from Barry? Like, where does that second tier, to use your fantasy analogy, start? Well, we know they've talked to Rick Tockett. We, we, we know they're interested in a guy like Scott Arneal. Um, you know, would either of those guys, quote unquote, you know, would that be a win for this team? 
possibly, you know, I think, you know, I think a lot of fans would enjoy a Rick Tockett on the bench, you know, or, or, you know, I don't think Claude Julian's in the mix here. You know, I know he had an opportunity with, uh, you know, coaching Pierre-Luc Dubois and Adam Lowry in the world championship, but I just don't think Winnipeg's, you know, his ideal destination. Um, Kirk Muller, I'm being told, who I know the Jets were, you know, at least very, at least interested in to help out with their center situation. I'm hearing he's now being pressed by Calgary and might be the coach in waiting under Daryl Sutter for what he's done. I mean, they're acknowledging that he's done a lot of special things. I don't think that Kirk Muller has any hurt feelings from not getting the job with Winnipeg, you know, years ago, but um, you know, he's just, he's just a guy that I think, you know, I, certainly a guy that I had at the top of my list is someone who could help out this team, something a lot of scouts around the league really love those people who are in the know. Um, you know, I don't think Derek Lalonde is going to be a, a guy that the, that the Jets, um, you know, are, are going to be able to, 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 to go after. I honestly think it's almost kind of feeling like trots or bust. Um, and I, and sorry, I shouldn't classify it as trots or bust. I can see this team going to some of the usual suspects. I can, I can see this team, you know, if they don't get a Barry Trotz, I could completely see True North hiring like a Pascal Vincent and then having more say than they would over a, a Barry Trotz or maybe a higher profile name on deciding who the assistant coaches are. So I think that's might be their, you know, might be True North's silver lining and not getting Barry Trotz is, you know, hiring a guy who they know and they respect in Pascal Vincent or someone of the like. And then, then having kind of the pieces around him filling it out in the way that they see fit. Um, but I mean, again, I think Barry Trotz is the guy that they're going after. I think they're the ones holding their breath. But um, you know, what yeah, about Montgomery? Time, what about Montgomery? I found oh, it interesting. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy that certainly has you know coached in the National Hockey League, and actually he was doing quite a good job before off ice things sort of took him away. I mean, I don't know how much to make out of spending one year here with the Moose in the late 90s, but certainly, you know, at least it would open the doors. You'd have that relationship. I mean, um, do you think that he would be another guy that would be in that mix and that tier just below Barry? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I can't believe I forgot his name. I, you know, it's an interesting hire. I do think that, you know, some of the off-ice off stuff is, you know, I think we can move on from that. I don't think it's certainly not a situation like a Joel Quenville um, or some other coaches that, you know, in the past have had a bit more of a, you know, Mike Babcock, some of, some of the more higher profile, you know, crap that we, we've seen from coaches over the past. But, um, yeah, definitely an, a, a possibility. I'm with you. I, I do think there's a connection there. I certainly think there's an appreciation for Manitoba. Like, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of people go, well, you know, why can't True North find anybody else outside of their inner circle or anyone who has connections? Well, I don't know if it's so much them wanting to zero in on people that they necessarily have connections to as, as much as, or as equally to it being them kind of knowing what Winnipeg has to offer, what the province has to offer, whether you've been here for a year or been or grew up here or whatever it is um, you kind of know. And, and I think true North has a good reputation amongst those people. I mean, they, they treat their players, right. Um, they treat their coaches, right. So I, I wouldn't be, it's not surprising at all that someone who's come through Winnipeg, you know, has, you know, would be interested in, in making a return. Uh, the other thing with, with Jim Montgomery too is, yeah, I mean, he played for the Moose for that one season, but he's a guy that the Jets have leaned on, um, you know, for, for scouting opportunities, right? I mean, he was a big NCAA guy. So the, the, there, there's a lot of connections there. And, and I think, you know, he's somebody that, you know, might be, 
might be a, a very positive addition. I don't know much about Jim Montgomery's style per se, but he obviously was able to do some good things with Dallas before things went off the rails. And he would be a coach, I think, that you know would be a qualified coach, certainly, and, and would probably fit those boxes that we talked about, about you know needing some respect from the players right away. I think he gets that, um, or at least I think he, he checks that box, but we'll see. Now, uh, of course, the coaching search be, uh, remains number one on the list, but there are so many other things, including figuring out who's going to be here and making some big decisions on key players. Mark Scheifele's at the top of that list. Uh, earlier in the show, Jeff, we played the clip from Frank Cervelli on the DFO rundown on the weekend, mm-hmm. talking about Scheifele developing a reputation, as Frank's reporting, as a complainer, um, a- a- and it really being a pivotal moment I think for the franchise when it comes to a guy that was always thought to be the franchise player what did you make of that and um, where do you see this going from here and how much does it have to do with who the new new coach is yeah I think that you know I I heard the comments from Frank I think it just echoes a lot of the comments we've been hearing from all corners of hockey people whether that be in Winnipeg or, or outside with insiders we know there's an issue like it's not speculation that Mark Shifley has a bit of a of an issue with his with his current hockey home. I mean, we saw that at the end of the season. If you can't take what Mark Shifley said at the end of the year, someone who has two more years remaining on his contract that he signed and said he needs to figure out his future here, then then you know what are we doing here? Of course, there's an issue, and and we know that there's a division in the locker room. We know that what happened, you know, we know that there's been issues for for probably a few seasons, but we know they came to a head last season i mean you know it was is a miserable season for the whole organization there was incredibly high expectations they fell incredibly short of those and you know and then we have all the you know postseason comments whether it's paul you know guys like paul stastny uh who's who'd been very vocal i'd argue throughout the entire season and in previous years about the issues with this team um you had you know mark shifley's interview you had adam lowry speak candidly heck you had a guy like kyle connor who really doesn't say much ever in fact they bring kyle connor out for the most part when they don't want to say anything it seems like and you know he had his you know he had some pretty scathing comments so we know there's a a lot of issues there, you know, whether or not it has to do with a coach. I don't know. I, we, I mean, possibly, I mean, there's certainly, if you look, if you look at the history with, with Mark Shifley and the coaching staff, he was a big fan of Paul Maurice for the most part, because Paul Maurice pretty much gave him whatever, whenever he needed it. So, um, and that changed slightly with Dave Lowry. And we know that, you know, Mark Shifley didn't play, didn't, didn't like Dave Lowry as the head coach and didn't, didn't like the systems that the Jets were employing. It's just becoming more and more like, you know, you look at Frank's comments and it's just becoming more and more proof that this guy, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to, to get him to buy in, if you will. And we know how important it is for, for an entire team to buy in. And at what cost would it be to the team to get Mark Shifley to buy in? And that's the question I imagine the Winnipeg Jets are, are dealing with. But they, like you said, Haas, there's lots of things they have to deal with. We don't know what the future of Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, is. We don't know what, you know, the vision of, the, of down the middle, the very important center depth on this team. This team was envisioning a Dubois-Shifley, you know, combo for at least years. Now we're talking about a guy who, you know, hasn't necessarily publicly wants out of town, but all the comments coming out suggest that he doesn't want to be in that locker room without intense changes, whether that's a, a coaching change or not. Personally, I, you know, given what, what we're, we're kind of hearing about Perlou Dubois, and I'm not saying that he's definitely not going to sign with the Winnipeg Jets, but, I, and again, I don't know why anybody would want to 
put pen to paper right now with all the question marks they have. Um, but you got to start looking seriously at, at what the futures of some of these key players are and make some tough decisions. I guess the problem is, Haas, is you know whether or not you're going to get the value. And this was part of Frank's comments was whether or not you're going to get the value in return uh, from Mark Shifley, given a the, the growing reputation he's had, um, but also the guy who who has a pretty friendly friendly uh, contract for the next two seasons has proven that he can put up points in this league. Well, and and that's why I'm not sure I entirely buy with the. I mean, the hypothesis, I guess, that it's impossible to win a Shifley trade. I mean, listen, it's a big, big ask of the general manager to go and make that work for your team in the short and the long term. But I certainly don't rule it out. And to be honest, and this goes back to one of the other things that Frank said, that this organization for a long time, as I believe his quote was pandered to Mark, I mean, has done everything they could to do everything possible to make him happy, as comfortable as possible, getting every sort of opportunity that he wants. And I think that has been the case. And here we are. I mean, I'm not sure what more that this organization could do, even with a new coach, to sort of put a new coat of paint on it and expect to have different results. And you do wonder what the effect that has on many of the other players, like a Pierre-Luc Dubois, that have big decisions to make, like, okay, am I coming back to the same sort of thing? Is this what I want to commit to? for the prime of my hockey career. Well, absolutely. And I mean, as, as close as, as close as locker rooms are, these guys are also human beings. So, you know, and, and we're all competitive in our own right. Right. We all, we all, we're all selfish in our own right. We all, you know, particularly in professional sports, how often do you hear that you have to look out for yourself, you know, that hockey is a business, you know, and, 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 and all these things. I mean, that's essentially saying that you need to maximize your value and need to maximize you know, your own personal gain. And, and, you know, I think that can be, I think if you look at a guy like Mark Shifley, he's done a lot of great things for this organization. He might feel entitled to those things and he might be deserving of a lot of different things given what he's done here. But I don't know if that is believed by everybody in the locker room, each of which is fighting for their own piece of the pie. And so to me, I, I think there is a, a massive division. There's almost kind of, because I know there's guys that are, you know, if for lack of a better term, pro Shifley. You know, I know he's got some friends in that locker room that support him and that, you know, probably believe he has a bit of an argument. Um, you know, in, in, in you know, and I use the word demands lightly. We don't know exactly what he's demanding or wants, um, you know, that he hasn't already got. But, you know, that that's just the reality of being a professional hockey player. And I go back to my earlier comment about, about maybe just needs a change of scenery. Maybe this is exactly what Mark Shifley needs is, is somewhere to, you know, maybe it's, and, and like I said, I don't think it's something that all happened last season. I think this has been a bit of a slow burn and it kind of, you know, the house came on fire last, last season. And now guys, and, and let's be clear about something. We're going to talk about Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois, two very important pieces of the, of this team's future, you know, puzzle in the present and future. But there's got to be a number of guys in there, whether you're making $1 million or $10 million cash um, that don't want to be in that environment either. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying they don't want to be in Winnipeg or that they don't appreciate, you know, the organization and the ownership and all that stuff. But why would you want to be in a toxic locker room? You're playing the, you know, you're, you have a dream job. If, if going to work as a professional hockey player is not fun, what, why do you want to be there? And so I would imagine that, and that's probably part of it. I don't know how you bring in a bunch of guys and, you know, try to figure this thing out when everybody has their own interests at play. And so, 
you know, it will be a fascinating summer. I, I'm very curious. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for some of these conversations with not just the leadership group, but some of the deeper players too. Um, and just kind of get a better grasp of what needs to be fixed here and how easily or how difficult it will be to do just that. Well, of course, that's a big, big part, I'm sure, of any conversations they're having with a new head coach. And, you know, once that happens, I think maybe we'll see a little bit more movement on some of these other issues. Jeff Hamilton's with us from the Winnipeg Free Press. Hammer, let's... Uh, flip over to uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. What a crazy way to start the season. Um, I don't know if we want to say the Bombers got away with one, um, but I'll tell you what, uh, I didn't have Drew Brown being the hero of the game on the bingo card before uh, that happened. I mean, what did you make of the performance overall and the uh, sort of shocking the way it ended with a guy that many people hadn't seen play very much come off the bench in the final minute and a half and lead the Bombers to a victory? Yeah, Huss, what a great start to the the CFL weekend. Never mind with Calgary and Montreal having a barn burner, and then of course Winnipeg and and uh, and Ottawa battling it out to the fi- literally final seconds. I I you know what I think as I wrote in kind of my five takeaways. Look, the Bombers are a good team. I don't think they're as good as the 2021 outfit. Um, I do have a lot of comments about both uh, sides of the ball. I thought the I thought the offense, if I could sum it up in one word, was just uninspiring. Um, you know, they went through a stretch through the, the, the second and third quarters. I think they had they had four, they had five or six, that's five possessions between the second and third quarter. Four of them were three and outs, and one was lost. One was uh, one was the fumble um, that was that that ended the drive. So there was just the you know, and, and the thought I had was, who's going to be the playmaker here? Who's the like who's the guy who's going to set up you know like step up and make a play? And, you know, I looked at, you know, the guys you would look at in the last, at least the last year, and in some cases, few years and even more, it'd be number 33, Andrew Harris would come in and whether it was a, you know, a 10 yard run, he'd get up and he'd flex and you could feel the energy in the huddle or it'd be Kenny Lola who'd pinpoint a ball and make a, you know, make a, a great athletic catch to move the ball downfield and spark this, spark this club. And we all know that those, those, you know, those guys aren't here anymore. And I just, I just felt like it was, I'm trying to be a little careful not to be too definitive in statements because it's just one game, but it's the Ottawa Red Blacks. And I mean, they're not the three and 11 Ottawa Red Blacks. I think they're going to be a lot better than I predicted them this year. I I predict them not to make the playoffs. Maybe I'll eat crow on that. Maybe not still a long season. Um, But I also think that, you know, they certainly are improved. Jeremiah Masoli looked legit. You know what I mean? It was crazy that, you know, it was crazy that he was able to put up, what, 380 yards through the air um, and didn't get the end zone a lot. So as much as it was easy to, you know, we move over to the defensive side of the ball, we knew there were going to be growing pains in the secondary. When you don't have Brandon Alexander to start, ultimately your quarterback in the secondary, Mercy Masson, which I know they didn't have in 2021, but he would have been a, a, a key part. You wouldn't have to play. And nothing against, you know, Donald Rutledge. He's the guy who, you know, he's a rookie, you know, so it's, I thought he played pretty good for his first CFL game, but a guy like Mercy Mastin, uh, who has the experience, you know, knows the game, all that stuff. That's an, another big loss. And of course, you, you know, DeAndre Alford isn't here anymore. So you're, you know, you're, you still have quality players in that secondary. You still have guys like, you know, Deatric Nichols, who is, is, is just a great player. Um, you know, you have guys like, um, Winston Rose got torched. Well, no, I'm getting to that. <laughs> Nick Taylor. And then you have a guy like, you have a guy like Winston Rose, who I, you know, Winston Rose is a great football player. He's a great human, great football player. He will continue to be a great football player, 
But in that line, he got to your words, Haas, absolutely torched. And I was, you know, like I'm very careful to criticize um, members of the secondary. I'm not a math, you know, like you'd have, you have to go back and watch the tape. You have to know the calls very, very often. And this is the people I, you know, I don't know the, the, the intimate X's and O's of, of football play calling. That's why I don't write a lot about it, but I talk to a lot of people. I spend a lot of hours in a week talking to people who know exactly that. And so I'm always careful to go, this guy got torched or this guy got beaten on a long pass. A lot of the times, you know, the safety didn't pick up their assignment or someone didn't come up over the top and you see the numbers of the guy running 20 yards behind a guy who's jaunting into the, into the end zone. And all of a sudden you go, that guy got roasted. Well, no, I talked to a handful of people, probably three or four people about Winston Rose's game. And it was just, in a word, awful, um, you know, and, and I think it was probably overcompensating for the lack of communication, nothing against Malcolm Thompson, who, who's, who's, uh, who's spelling Brandon Alexander right now, but he's, he's not as in tune with this scheme as, as, as Brandon Alexander is. He doesn't have the, you know, the same level of communication. So it looked like guys like Tyquan Glass and Winston Rose were trying to go out of their way to make plays, right? I mean, you often hear Mike O'Shea say, we want guys to make plays, but within the defensive structure. I don't think that was the case with uh, with either of those guys, particularly Rose, who at one point got beat on a 54-yard uh, gain from a guy named Marcus Dubois. And it, Marco Dubois, and if you don't know who that is, it's because you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a fullback that lined up as a tight end, and you watch it, and he just straight up beats him. And so, you know, but here's the here's the best part about it. I know we're taking a bit of time here to, you know, dump on Winston Rose, but he is a quality player and I do believe he will bounce back and he has deserved, you know, the benefit of the doubt for what he's done for this team. But, you know, and overall, it's one of those things, if you could sum up the game, it was one of those, thank goodness that they got the victory for those players because watching tape is not going to be fun. It wouldn't be fun the last couple of days, but it is a lot better when you got two points in the bank rather than a loss. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think the reason why we sort of bring it up is that it was somewhat shocking. I mean, there's a lot of question marks on the club, you know, with new players coming in. 30 wasn't supposed to be one of those questions, and that's why it sort of did. And, of course, they also got, um, I mean – a mulligan, if you will. I mean, Ackland's inexplicable drop on what would have been a sure touchdown early on would have made those numbers look even worse. So uh, that was back to the offensive side of the football, though. I mean, a huge story in camp was Andrew Harris is now in the Toronto Argonauts. It was time for Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine to sort of take over. Uh, early results, not good. What were the takeaways from the um, lack of success running the football? You know what? I just, you, it just, I don't have an explanation for it as far as like, I don't think we were expecting them to go guns blazing, you know, necessarily. I mean, um, and give credit to Ottawa's defense. They played well, they stuffed lanes. Um, you know, there were a couple good plays by Brady Oliveira in the passing game, or at least one particular game. Um, it helps set up a score. Uh, but all, all in all, I just think that they, you know, they, they couldn't establish it. And if you can't establish it early, then you kind of get away from it. That's and and that and that that's true whether it's Andrew Harris or Brady Oliveira or Johnny Augustine. It doesn't matter. I mean, we've seen games in the past where you know if you don't establish the run game early, 
you know, how many times have we written that Andrew Harris needs more than 13 touches in a game? You know what I mean? We, we, write, we wrote about it a lot over the last few years. Um, you know, when they don't win the game, it's like, well, why didn't they, why didn't they give it to Andrew Harris more? I guess you can make that argument with these other, with guys like Oliver and Johnny Augustine, given the, the limited carries they have. But the reality is if you're not moving the ball, if you're not establishing that run on the ground, getting five, you know, four, five, six yards, setting yourself up in a, in a good position, uh, for second down, then then you tend to to move away from it, or you try to be a bit more creative with sweet passes and stuff like that. So I don't really have a lot of you know an, a big explanation as to why. Maybe you know credit the like I said, credit the Red Blacks defense. Maybe it's some growing pains on on the offensive line, which I know has a ton of return turning guys, but even one guy. Uh, you know, might be, you know, might be a change. I'm not putting this on Jeff Gray by any means. I'm just saying as they, as they work and, and figure things out, Patty Newfeld didn't have a full camp again, not putting it on him either. I still thought, you know, I still thought they were okay uh, in, in providing protection, but um, overall, like I said, I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to be an easy thing for, for Brady Oliver or Johnny Augustine or the combo to fill those shoes. And it's more than just, you know, with Harris, it's more than just yards, it's energy, it's confidence. You'd hear guys from the offensive line say just, you know, just 33's presence in the huddle was enough to get going. I'm not sure if they have necessarily the same level of excitement for the other guys at this point, but maybe they will. Uh, Hammer, we mentioned the heroics of Drew Brown coming in off the bench right. and leading the Bombers to the winning field goal, um, which was a very positive development, no doubt about it. That being said, this team is Zach Calaris's and will go as far as he takes them. Uh, do we know anything about his status coming out of the uh, out of the game into this week? Yeah, to start on Drew Brown, I can't believe I you know you asked that, but I missed it. Um, impressive stuff. I mean, I thought he was impressive in his you know in that in that first game against Edmonton. You know, he's like you know when you look at the quarterback depth chart, um, there's a re- you know I think the reason why they're playing one kicker is so they can dress three quarterbacks, each quarterback. Um, having a different role. Dakota Prukop is the short yardage QB, which is more often than not in previous years when you only dress two quarterbacks would also be your quote unquote backup. Well, I think Drew Brown was always this team's backup number two, that if in the event Zach Claros was, you know, as we saw in that game, we talked about this leading up to it with colleagues of mine, um, but what that depth chart would look, I always thought Drew Brown would, would leapfrog Dakota Prukop, at least now at this point, right? He knows the systems more. He's been here. They obviously like him, but for him to come out, come onto the field with 133 remaining cold and go three for three, you know, credit to guys like, you know, I think uh, it was uh, Greg Ellingson caught one. I don't know if Nick Dempsey got the other one or Rasheed Bailey got one, I believe. Um, key, key, you know, key throws um, to move them down the field. And, and I think if, if you, if, if you're a Bombers fan, what more proof do you need that this guy's a quality backup? Now, I'm not saying he's the end-all, be-all, that it's just one play, but for him to come in, in the circumstances he did and lead this team to a game-winning field goal, heck, we've, had, we've seen backup quarterbacks get entire games. Like we saw, you know, Sean McGuire last year after spending years on this roster and then does nothing. For him to come out and do that, that was incredible. As for Zach Claris, um, the Bombers are optimistic, as we know just from the game he wanted to come back in, right? First of all, he didn't want to come out. So there's that, right? Like he didn't want to come out of the game. It was an injury spotter that, you know, doing their job, pulled him out of the game after they noticed he took some, you know, some contact to the head. And then you saw him kind of running back onto the field, wanting to come on. And, and of course he didn't. Um, so that, that's, a, I mean, we know that people do that injured anyway. So it's, it, but it is a good sign that he wasn't, you know, that he was actually up and doing stuff. I'm told that it's, the, the, you know, they're cautiously optimistic. They're, you know, 
all signs at this point are positive. So I'm expecting to see him at, at practice tomorrow, um, ready to go. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, rematch Friday night back in the nation's capital, game number two. It took a long time to finally see Paul Apolli. Certainly won't take that long to see them again. And Ottawa was very impressive. Uh, Hammer, great stuff as always. Thanks for doing this. Looking forward to uh, chatting with you later on this week and, of course, having you back on the program next week. Always a pleasure, Huss. Really do uh, appreciate you having me on. We didn't even get into Lapo's gaff at the first half, but you know what? You know, an old what? friend, an old friend how, of Winnipeg. How did that happen? Like, I, I'll be honest, we were. I, it was, I mean, it that, and, yeah. and and to think of the the margin of victory for the game. I mean, look no further than that play right there. Two that, timeouts that they had. They had two. So you know, and like my favorite part of that whole play was was Jalen Acklin getting up and selling the first down with zeros on the clock in the first half. It was just like, what's going on? Yeah, there was that play. There was the missed catch. There was the fumble by Prukop. Let's not call, you know, let's let's call the Bombers lucky. But in the context of you need to be good to be lucky sometimes. And, you know, good teams pull them out when they don't play their best. Have a, have a great week. Thanks for doing this. Awesome, my friend. Take care. Uh, great stuff with Hammer. Still a little more CFL and more talk. Dustin Nielsen, who, of course, called the games on Friday and Saturday night on TSN, going to join us in just a couple of minutes. Hey, anyone that headed out to the game, uh, hopefully you took part in the Princess Auto tailgate zone. What an awesome crowd before the game on Friday night. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers, and will be hosting Bomber fans in the tailgate area before each and every game. And of course, Princess Auto is also where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Texting our boy Nick from uh, Nick and Nicky DQ. Going to get out of the golf course with him out of Breezy on the weekend. Really looking forward to that. And we might have to make a pit stop at one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs before or afterwards for one of those delicious blizzards. I got to try one of the Royal blizzards. I'm very intrigued by the chocolate or peanut butter filling. And of course, some of the all new stack burgers that are all the rage right now. Pop down and see Nick and Nicky at any of their four locations, the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, or DQ St. Anne's. And if you do need a DQ ice cream cake for a party or an event coming up, you can always hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba and uh, get that sucker custom made for you to pick up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. Hockey, the uh, Stanley Cup final doesn't start until Wednesday tonight that we've got NBA finals. And you can always get together and watch the big game on the big screen with big sound at your local Boston pizza. Of course, if you are there, take advantage of their happy hour specials between 3 and 6 and 9 and 12 each and every night. And if you're staying at home, you can always order online. Check out their game day deals, bostonpizza.com, each and every day of the week. All right, stick around. We do have the Assiniboia Downs Pick'em Contest coming up. We'll hit the Cool Bet Lines. Well, let's talk a little more about CFL Week 1 with a guy that was in person and calling both the game here in Winnipeg and that great scene in BC on Saturday night. Our buddy Dustin Nielsen. Look at Dusty. He's got the blazer <laughs> on, the cool bed hat. 
sort of in between two outfits and joining us on WST. What's up? I forgot which job I was doing today, huh? So I threw on a cool bad hat, threw on a suit. I I just, it's been a busy day. I haven't had a chance to get changed since I got home. So uh, this is kind of how I look for part of my day. Let's just leave it at that. Right back at it. I thought yeah. you didn't realize what time it was. You were going on your <laughs> 6.30 a.m. hit on uh, CTV yeah, exactly. Edmonton at that point. It's all... Well, listen, I'm glad you I'm glad you classed it up a little bit. This might be the second time ever that I've even worn a collar on this program. So uh, and that was just a fluke. But I'm glad that you're bringing the real class to the program. How was the weekend for you? How'd it go? It was great, man. I mean, it was busy for week one. Back to back games on back to back nights, like two, two games in a week. Not bad, especially if it's like a Thursday, Saturday. But for week one to go back to back. It's a lot of work, um, but, you know, I was happy to do it, man. It was great to be back. It was great to see, you know, a great crowd in BC. That was absolutely amazing, and it was great to be in, uh, in Winnipeg. I even popped by one of the Boston Pizza locations after the game for a bevy to wrap up my night, so uh, let's plug them a little bit here as well. Well, perfect. You know, we, of course, did the lock shop there right across from the Delta downtown. Crystal and the gang, I saw her actually at the game. She's one of the biggest Bomber fans I know, so it was all fired up. Hey, just before we get to the games, from – your job as voice of the, the, the CFL on TSN, how much more challenging is prep going into week one as opposed to week seven or eight once you sort of have a pretty good grasp of the league, new players? I imagine the early part of the season's got to be a, a little bit more time in front of the depth charts. Yeah, you know, that's that's true. I mean, and that's kind of why, like I said, it's a lot of work for back-to-back because – you know, you usually don't get a lot of the information the day before the game, but for that Saturday game, the day before, I'm focused on a Friday night game anyway. So, I mean, prepping for preseason is the worst because the rosters are huge and a bunch of guys you've never seen and will never hear from again. And then after that, week one is is the most difficult. Like this week, I have one game. It's the it's the uh, the Elks and the Riders. And I've already seen both teams. I did a Riders preseason game where they started a bunch of their guys. And then I just did the Elks. The Elks made it very interesting because they so many new faces in that lineup. That was one that I had to really kind of, you know, cram for. Like it's a test back in university, which I was horrible at. Um, But even if you listen to my, if you listen to the broadcast, let's say, and I thought it was pretty good broadcast this week, but if you listen to it, the odd time after a touchdown, there's a little hesitation because I'm like double checking to make sure I got the the name right. Um, by weeks three, four, five, I mean that's all just up here and it'll come out like that. So, uh, yeah, for me from a broadcast perspective, I was a couple times I was like, ah, I took too long there, but uh, I think for most people, it probably came across okay. Well, let's start to the first game on the docket. You were here in our town of Winnipeg. We raised another Grey Cup banner. Shout out to Sarah Orleski, by the way, who did a phenomenal job of uh, handling that little ceremony beforehand. Also, she did three games in three days, three different cities. Three like and three. She, American she Hockey League schedule. <laughs> yeah, she's a monster. She's the best. Uh, it was great. And obviously, you know, they had the fireworks, the smoke, the blue and gold smoke out of the end of the stadium was great. And then we got to the game. And um, listen, I mean, we talked about it on the lock shop last week. I mean, obviously, the Bombers were a significant favorite. I was really impressed with Ottawa in a lot of aspects. But at the same way, I think leaving the game, the Ottawa Red Blacks had to be wondering how the hell did we lose that football game? Um, what were your takeaways from both the defending champs and this new look Ottawa team from Friday night? Yeah, I, I kind of think, you know, the biggest takeaway from that game is this is an Ottawa that we saw last year. Like that's the big, and, and you're right. I mean, we can get to Winnipeg. We can get to the fact that Ottawa probably should have won that game. There were two or three big moments in that game where they, they kind of blew it. 
Um, it's kind of self-inflicted, which you just can't do against a team like the Bombers. I mean, you do that against some other teams in the league, you might be able to get away with it, but you can't do that against the Bombers. But, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me, we were talking about it, like before we even went down the elevator after the game to get out to the vehicle to head back to the hotel, um, that's that's not expecting them to do anything anything offensively You're like well maybe they'll maybe they'll get a touchdown tonight uh jeremiah mazzoli looked excellent jeremiah mazzoli the one thing that i thought he did that not a lot of people did at all last year was he attacked that bombers defense like mazzoli did not just settle for checkdowns. he was getting out of the pocket he's getting on the run and he was taking a lot of deep shots so uh if you're an ottawa red blacks fan man i know you might even be a little disappointed with the loss because of the way it went down but you got to be pretty excited by what you saw and as a broadcaster i think that's great for the league if ottawa can bring an offense like that to the table that's going to be really fun and la- look i'll be look, last year not a lot of people wanted to watch the auto red blacks in the second half of the season and this year that is certainly not going to be the case win or lose yeah no they look great i mean the ackland drop early in the game oh, which was man. a sure six i mean on defense zach claris made a nil time throw that probably should have been picked off but maybe the most bizarre play in the entire game was what happened at the end of the first half with them not getting a field goal attempt. I mean, we were in the stands wondering what what just happened. Yeah. Did we miss something? How did you guys see it? And what did it sound like as you guys called that play at the end of the half? Well, I was I was very caught off guard. And then it was right at the end of the half. And at the end of the half, like we don't have any time to break it down. It's just, hey, let's send it back to Kate in the panel. So it's, it's not like we could have actually dove into it. But as you're watching it, and we went back and watched it later that night, um, when we were we went to BPs after and kind of watched the game and we like to see how it, it all sort of went down. So we were watching that again because I said something just didn't add up because when, when I think it was at 23 seconds when that clock started running and it took them nine seconds to essentially snap the ball. Like they snapped the ball with what, 12, 13, 14 seconds left or something in there. By the time the ball was caught, there was six seconds left and you still could have had time to, you know, get down. And if they touch, you have a chance to get a field goal, which is what I think La Police was probably thinking you'd be able to do. There's 23 seconds when that clock started running on you. Um, and I just, I'm not, sh- I'm not hundred percent sure everybody was aware of that situation. They like Ackland got up and was kind of celebrating. And I was just like, no, like, <laughs> The, the half is over. You just missed an opportunity against the best team in the league to put up another three points. So, uh, you know, to be honest, to be honest with you, early season awareness of what, how much time you actually had left on the clock. So it stings for sure. And that was one of a few things that, that kind of came back to bite him in the butt. Tough to swallow if you're the Red Blacks, because I thought you went in there and put together a pretty good game against the defending champs. Yeah. The Ackland pimp in the first down at that point was a bit of a tough look considering everything else was happening around it. I mean, a real lack of awareness. Um, and then as far as, I mean, unlikely heroes, Drew Brown coming off wow. the bench. I mean, yeah. I guarantee you nine out of 10 bomber fans couldn't have picked that dude out of a police lineup before the game. And yet there he was answering questions afterwards, going three for three, three straight first downs very effectively moving the Bombers right into field goal position. And uh, I guess in that way, good teams find ways to win. And that's exactly what Winnipeg did, although there's plenty of room for improvement. Well, you can pick him out now because he's got that little bun. Right, he's got a little man butt up there, so you'll be able to pick him out. I think it's he's a, just a laid back dude. Like when you watch him talk after with Sarah, you're like, oh yeah, he was probably very calm in the situation. Like he just and the one thing, and I did, I did one of the Bombers preseason games, and I thought he looked like he controlled the offense. Like it didn't look to me like he was in over his head. So when they went to him, it's obviously a fascinating situation. Kolaris is coming out of the game. They're bringing in Brown. Let's see what he can handle. And and you know what, with the state like 
Kolaris did look a little rattled. His head went down hard on the turf after yeah. that play. I'm not sure he would have been stable enough to do what Drew Brown did in that situation. So I think it really worked out for the Bombers that they had to go to Drew Brown. And he talked about, I think, on the second play, the Red Blacks kind of went went zero, and it allowed them underneath to find Dembski and get him moving. Um, but he came in and made three huge plays. And I know, you know, with what Rourke did later in the week and some of the other storylines that kind of emerged from the weekend, I mean, a lot of people might forget that. But that's that's an incredible situation to be put in, uh, especially when it's not like – He's Prukop and he's coming out and he's already touched the ball a bunch. He'd been involved in the offense a little bit. This guy hadn't touched anything. He's he's technically the backup and Prukop's the, the short yardage guy. Um, and it completely worked out exactly like you would want to do it if you're the Bombers. I, I think all three of their guys contributed in a big way. Uh, Dustin Nielsen is with us, uh, of course, called two of the games in uh, week one of the Canadian Football League. And uh, the second one was after an early flight. You get out to Vancouver and uh, first things first, what a scene and what a job the British oh. Columbia Lions have done at trying to reinvigorate the franchise. My main beef is with the TSN producers, to be honest. How the hell did we not have a picture or a live shot of you and Dwayne Ford grooving <laughs> and singing along to One Republic during that pregame concert? I mean, we were robbed of that moment because I know you guys were singing along with every song in the booth. You know what? I, I will be honest and let's say this. First of all, just usually I'll walk down to the stadium, but we got in and we were running a little bit late because we had to wait for our rooms and stuff. So we're like, oh, we'll take a cab down. So we, we got the cab down and then we had to walk like two blocks through a party. Like just a, it was like, it was a mini gray cup. Like that's what it felt like as you're walking through. Biff Naked was playing up on the stage outside. Like they had buzz. The buzz around BC Place was the best I'd seen for any regular season game in the two and a half years that I've been doing games. It's just they did an excellent job. And then, you know, One Republic, it, as we were getting there, I was saying to uh, the guys, I'm like, ah, One Republic, like, uh, yeah, I think my wife listens to him a little bit. I'm not sure I'll know many of the songs. And then they started playing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know this song. Yeah, that's a really good song. And then they did another one. And I was like, oh, I know that one, too. Like, that's a really good song as well. So I thought they put on a pretty good show in there. And then, you know, we picked a few of the songs to kind of package in to the, the broadcast. Before People we sure things seemed off. into it. Uh, oh, man, it was like it was, it was a good time. It was a good time. Now, it was interesting because I thought they were only selling like the like there was four sections up top they were going to sell. And there was people sitting at about probably 40% of the top, maybe 35% of the top. So I wonder if they just let people who bought tickets anywhere kind of slide up to the top. Um, and maybe that's why that lower level didn't look sold out, even though technically it was. Uh, but it was people were loving the concert. Those guys put on a good show. I thought it was. I thought it was nice when you're trying to find ways to connect with with different people and just get them in the building. Um, you know, I think things like that, not all the time, but events like that every once in a while can can make a big difference. Well, and then they get in there, they finish up with all the pomp and circumstance and all of that went well. And then there was the football game and you're going in with a, you know, a young Canadian quarterback that's not very proven up against Chris Jones and a Chris Jones defense. And that was as thorough a shit-kicking I can remember in a long time in the Canadian Football League. I mean, he just about put up 60 on them. Um, I guess let's start with the positive. How impressed were you with BC? I mean, with Butler with the four touchdowns. I mean, O'Rourke with the way that he played. Like, Burnham and Lucky Whitehead didn't do very much in that game, and they put up 59. You would have, if you would have told me that the Lions would put up 59 points without Whitehead or Burnham getting a touchdown, I would have said there is zero chance that happens in a million years. Um, yet they did. And, and you're right. It was, it was right from the start. Like, 
the uh, you want you got to give some credit to the Lions offensive coordinator Max Simic. I think he called a great game for Rourke. Uh, Rourke finished this game I think twenty six of twenty nine with three passing touchdowns, 78 yards on the ground, two rushing touchdowns. He was a fantasy monster in this game. And and that's after, you know, kind of letting the spotlight go to Butler in the first half. Guy had four touchdowns in the first half of the football game. He had three all of last season, which was like an okay season because he, you know, shortened year. It wasn't, wasn't an awful season. He would have liked a little bit more production, you know, finding the end zone. But Butler... Butler looked like, you know, he was getting around a little bit better than he did last year. More holes were opening up, and that all might come back around to the fact that Edmonton looked very disorganized on defense. They really couldn't get anything done, but I don't I don't want to read into that too much and take away a really good performance from Nathan Roark. He looked when you watch him play, and you know, he obviously can pass the ball. We know that. But then he mixed in, you know, getting out of the pocket a little bit. And on the third and short, he just took off, ran by everybody. He he was exciting. Like he, he got me really excited. To, and I'll, you know, doing a lot of games in the West. I look forward to seeing a lot more of Nathan Rourke and seeing what he looks like against some of these other defenses outside of Week One. Now, when you were back at home in Edmonton, you saw the family yesterday, and then it was back to work this morning. And I know there were some other topics of interest to folks in Edmonton <laughs> that may have been dominating the text line. Uh, but as far as the Elks go. Um, what were people saying? Because I think there was a lot of optimism and Victor Quee's got a nice new vibe around the club and people were very willing to give this new regime another chance. But man, when you fall flat on your face the way they did, um, I have to imagine that there was many Elks fans that were feeling kind of like they did last year during that miserable season. What the what were you hearing in E-Town about the performance of the uh, the visitors? Yeah, there'd been such a positive buzz and we kind of talked about it, like, how did you turn around the mindset of this fan base without even stepping back on the field and they did and then they stepped back on the field and that was uh, that was a little bit of a concern i think i think there's a but it also what it does is it provides uh, just another opportunity for local haters to have a voice right oh yeah this is why i'm not buying tickets again look what happened i'm like relax man it's it's the first game of the year you've got a defense that you know, half of them were not even familiar with at all. The ones who you were familiar with didn't play well. Uh, your quarterbacks, like BC, BC is not the BC Lions of last year. Like the Elks didn't just get crushed by a BC team that only won five games. I'd be stunned if the Lions don't take a step in the right direction this year. I'm not saying they're going to win the West or you know knock off the Bombers or whatever, um, but that's a much better that's a much better football team and. And maybe I'm wrong. And maybe, you know, if it happens again on Saturday, you guys can bring me back on next week. But the, the Elks aren't giving up 59 this weekend against the Riders. Like, they better they not. Have, they have, they have, like, it's professional football players. You have to be able to put together a better performance than they did, especially offense wasn't great either, but the defense straight up. And Chris Jones said it at halftime. He said it again after the game, man. They couldn't tackle, you know, they couldn't even get lined up properly. They were having communication issues. Um, to be honest with you, from a preparation standpoint, it didn't look great on the coaching staff. No, it, it really didn't. I was wondering, I mean, post-game and afterwards, yeah. what Chris Jones had to say, because in a lot of ways, he's sort of been brought back in to be somewhat of the savior for this club. And listen, around the league, there were lots of people that were loving what they saw because he's sort of a polarizing figure and is a bit of a Darth Vader rep in the CFL. Um, but a lot of this is on him. And frankly, that was somewhat of an embarrassing performance. How did he handle it? And what did he have to say? 
I think kind of as expected, although I will say his halftime interview with Farhan, he gave us more than I thought he would. Like yeah. He actually kind of broke down the defense. He did say that they were going to go with number two, a quarterback, which was Ford. And then they came out with Arbuckle and stuck with Arbuckle the entire half. So yeah, that's just how, how Chris Jones is. I think I said on the broadcast at one point, I said, I think that's his angry face, but it could also be his happy face because <laughs> that's just, that's just how he is, right? Like that's what Chris Jones is. That's what people here at Edmonton were familiar with when he led them to a great cup. And that's why people, have embraced his return so you know people have been very quickly to point out that when he took over the riders his first year there they only won five games and with what you see right now from a personnel perspective with this team um it might it might be a five or six win season for the elks and arbuckle Arbuckle had some problem throwing the ball, you know, to the to the side to the side of the field. I think there was a little bit of an issue there. Ford had his one pick in a similar situation. So, um, but Kenny Lawler, I will say this: if we're looking for a bright spot, I thought Kenny Lawler made some plays in in his debut with Edmonton. So, a former former bomber, um, you know, he's getting paid to have a good season, and I thought he had a decent start to it. You know, uh, uh, just one quick one in a game that I you probably didn't get a chance to see very much of. I mean, considering you were prepping for the late game that night, but I, I found it very interesting. Uh, the uh, Hamilton-Saskatchewan uh, game with just the lack of uh, much of anything from that yeah. Hamilton offense. I mean, especially when we all saw what Jeremiah Masoli was able to do against the Bomber defense on Friday. Uh, Got to be somewhat concerning in the hammer for the way that um, they came out of the gates. I, I would think so even without Mazzoli doing what he did, like even without Mazzoli going out and throwing for 380 yards against the Bombers, um, I know a chunk of that came on the last play when they were just trying to get the ball up the field. But still, I mean, he he was like a 330, 340 before that. Um, to see him go out and do that uh, and then watch, you know, kind of a conservative approach from Dane Evans and the Ticats. And I try to watch every game, uh, even the ones I don't do. And I'm, I, I watched the first half of that game last night. And I guess I picked the wrong half to watch because, um, you know, there was, there was nothing going on on either side of the ball. And luckily for the riders, you know, they made some plays in the second half, got to the end zone a couple of times and, and made a difference. So I'm interested to watch the second half of that game here and actually see, you know, where the separation ended up being because, uh, you, you know, as, as everything we saw on the weekend, that first half of the riders Ticats game was probably the most, I know there was a blowout in BC, but it at least was the home team blowing things out and people were loving it. Um, that first half in, in, in Regina, that was a, uh, that was a tough one to watch. No doubt about it. Well, it was a tough one. It was a tough week to pick too. I mean, I knew, yeah, and I said this man. on the lock chop, we're going to take it very easy in week one because, uh, and good thing I did because there was a lot of other good picks on the lock shop. None of them involved the Canadian Football League on the weekend. And I will. We got hosed on the PGA. We had guys all over oh. that leaderboard. I was like, something's got to hit. Tony, right? I had birds. I had Tony Finau. You had Justin Thomas, didn't you? Yeah. No, I had Scheffler. Um, but Scheffler, I had Fitzpatrick. That's right. Fitzpatrick sort of yeah. faded. And, uh, and our guy, Tony. And, man, he goes and shoots a 64 in the final yeah. round. And it never really felt like he was that close because of the yeah. way Rory played. That being said, it's major week. We'll come up big tomorrow on the program. We've also got the Stanley Cup final to talk about. And, you know, we'll wait to do picks and whatnot tomorrow. That being said, from someone that loves hockey, that covers the game, this is the final that I think. Like, I haven't been this excited for a Stanley Cup final in a long, long time. If I uh, I said it on my show today, at the beginning of the year, or beginning of the playoffs even, if I could have picked any two teams, it would have been Colorado and Florida. Like I was pretty high on Florida. I think the Panthers and Avs would have been an amazing matchup, but if not Florida, then the Tampa Bay lightning, like this is 
from a storyline perspective, my goodness, you got a team looking to become essentially the first modern day dynasty. I mean, they're looking to win three in the Stanley Cup era where or in the salary cap era where it hasn't been done. And maybe it's fitting because they're they can get around the cap a bit with some of the taxes and things like that, which is kind of tells the story. Um, but they're going up against this Colorado team that. I mean, they're phenomenal. They're absolutely phenomenal. For me, I, I, you know, I'm simplifying it way too much, and we'll talk about our picks on Lockshop tomorrow. But I've taken Vasilevsky over whatever Colorado's going to throw at you in net. So um, that'd be a, that'd be a, either way, it's a huge accomplishment. Colorado knocks off a two-time defending champion to get McKinnon his first Stanley Cup with a great team there, or Tampa makes it three in a row, knocking off the best team in the league. Tampa, looking for their third cup, goes in as an underdog. So it's uh, there's a lot to discuss, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll hammer that tomorrow on the lock shop. Uh, we'll go live at noon, Winnipeg time. Check my Twitter. Of course, you should give Dusty a follow as well, at Nielsen TSN 1260. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast, just wherever you get podcasts, make sure you search the lock shop and uh, hit the subscribe button, and you'll get that in your feed tomorrow afternoon. Before we go... We were, we were just about to hit the cool bet lines, and while I've got you here, I may as well ask you this. Uh, we got Game 5 of the NBA Finals tonight, and we've been going head-to-head basically yes. in every single game of this this series, and lo and behold, here we are, 2-2. Two and two. I'm still hoping this thing goes to 7, because while I didn't make a pick at the beginning of the series, the one thing I did was, was jump on it, plus 205 for a 7-game series. Um, huge performance by Steph Curry in Game number 4. Um, I, that was actually the one great pick that I did make. We sort of said, this is the storybook. He's going to be injured. He's going to come back and do all the things that he exactly did. And now we're at 2-2. How do you see this thing going? Did the Celtics get... I mean, they've been just as good on the road as they have been at home. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Warriors are a four-point favorite tonight. Um, are you thinking we stay on on holding serve the next couple games and get to seven that way? Or could... Boston do a complete reversal and get this win tonight and then have the opportunity to win it at home as opposed to staying alive in game six. You know, this has been a tough series to get a handle on because I I still think Boston's a better team, but Steph had that game, right? Like Steph and and I know a lot of people are saying, well, Steph and Steph has been by far the best player in this series. But, you know, Clay isn't scoring at where you need him to, but he's scoring. Wiggins is scoring. Poole is scoring. I'm not going to factor in Draymond here, but there, there's a little bit of depth scoring there, more so than I thought. And with Steph having the, the series that he's had so far, um, I think this is probably going to go seven, man. I think it's probably going to go seven. Uh, and I was thinking Boston in six kind of all along the way. Um, I think I think Golden State gets it done at home tonight, but the Celtics plus four might not, might not be a bad play. So I'm kind of torn on this, to be honest with you. If I'm throwing some of my own money on it right now, I'd probably just go Warriors money line. I think it's like minus 167 or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a really good series. It's kind of lived up to the hype so far. And I will say this, they're tied at two right now. And, you know, when the when the Celtics look, look after the ball, they can get the job done. Um, and you got to contain Steph. You can't let Steph do what he just did. However, uh, Jason Tatum has not stepped up yet. In this series. And I think Jason Tatum, there's a lot on the line for this guy. Jalen Brown has been excellent so far in this series, the best player in the Celtics. Uh, I think Tatum's got a game coming here somewhere along the way. So I might look at some Tatum uh, player props if you want tonight. But uh, I think Golden State's probably the play at home. 27 and a half is the number for Tatum. And just looking at the series right now, um, you know, we mentioned about the total number of games to go to seven, like over six and a half games, minus 125 right oh, now. Wow. So, uh, Still looking, sitting pretty with that plus 205. I mean, I guess if you wanted to hedge it, you could just take the minus 116 on the under and 
make sure you're coming out. But as we all know, hedging is for gardeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dusty, great stuff, man. I will look forward to uh, chopping it up with you tomorrow, getting into the U.S. Open, the yes. Cup Final. Um, Blue Jays, of course, and Major League Baseball, of course, that's at the lock shop tomorrow at noon before Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, sounded great on the weekend. Looking forward to seeing you back here in the peg, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Yep, sounds good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. There he is, Dustin Nielsen. Give him a follow on Twitter, at NielsenTSN1260. Uh, of course, did the game in Winnipeg, and then Saturday night in BC, calling the CFL on TSN. Uh, we just got into the cool bet lines a little bit. We can uh, tell you, in addition to tonight's NBA game, uh, not a huge slate of baseball, but the Blue Jays are beginning a series tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. Massive favorite, minus 263 on the money line. And if you want to hit the run line, you can get plus money on minus two and a half right now. Uh, but Jays has certainly been playing well. Won yesterday, <clears throat> won the series against the Tigers. Excuse me. And uh, now beginning a series at home, looking to continue making some gain. I think they're 14 and six in their last 20 games and haven't made up any ground on the New York Yankees. It's a tough division right now, and the Yankees are playing great. Uh, and as far as the NHL goes, the cup final is set. Tampa Bay, a underdog in the series, plus 147. Avalanche, minus 182. And Colorado at minus 154, home favorite in game number one, the Tampa Bay Lightning, plus 131 on the road. Head on over to CoolBet. If you haven't bet there before, use the promo code WST on your first deposit. Hook you up with a 100% bonus on your first deposit, up to $200. Um, hey, a shout-out to our friends at Canadian Club. I saw quite a bit of CC being enjoyed at the game on Friday. Of course, the, the rum hut was packed, the Jim Beam Stillhouse, and all the great Canadian club products available at the at the uh, at the stadium. And if you have not already tried the new taste of Canadian club and ginger ale, it's ready to drink for you in six packs at Manitoba beer stores and at liquor marts. And if you go to the Canadians beer stores right now, they've got a special promotion. You buy a six pack of the CC and ginger, you get a free bomber slim can koozie. Everyone knows big koozie guy, very important to have throughout the summer. And you'll be entered to win a Winnipeg Blue Bombers autographed jersey. There's one to be given away in every Canadian's bottle shop. So check out the CC and Ginger there. Let's get Michael Remus back in here because we do have to get to our Cinnaboya Downs picks. And folks, grab a pen right now because we've got a great way for you to play with us and win a night with a guest along with us at Cinnaboya Downs for uh, the world-famous prime rib buffet that I'm still buzzing over after enjoying it last week. Um, and what we're going to do is you're going to have the opportunity to pick the winner of race six tonight. You will send it over to our friend Sherry to Cinnaboya Downs. Uh, she's going to compile all the winners. We're going to do this over the course of the next six days of live racing. And uh, the top five folks We'll get to bring a guest, hang out with us. Maybe we'll go down into the winner's circle after one of the races. So here it is. We're going to go to race six, but you need to email your pick for the winner. Add in your name and your phone number as well, just so she can track it, to Sherry G. That's S-H-E-R-I-G at asdowns.com. If you're listening on the podcast, again, race six winner, name and phone number, Sherry G. That's S-H-E-R-I-G at asdowns.com. 
Um, so let's get to our picks. Live racing, of course, back tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday. We're on the normal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday schedule now for the rest of the summer after two short weeks to begin it all. And um, Remo, I've got a slight lead so far in our head-to-head competition, but with a new week, hopefully comes a new wave of luck for both of us, but especially you. Slightly, and I think you're beating me by quite a bit here. So I got some ground I need to make up, and here is, yeah, there's the thing. So we'll see. I'll, I'll be making my pick in race six if anyone wants to hear uh, who's going to win or or lose on it. But are we? Should I go here first? Yeah, sure. Why don't, why don't you? Why don't you fire your picks for everything other than race six, and then we'll do race six together and pull up all the horses so people can uh, see what they want to select, and then send the email into Sherry over at AS Downs. Okay, here we go. I'm pulling it up. I'm starting with race. Four. I'm doing a $5 Quinella 1-7. So dot dash dot. I don't know if that's Morse code or what. And Maybear, Mia Bear, Maybear. Anyways, uh, they're going to finish 1-2. I don't know which order, but uh, thankfully uh, I'll win either way. So that's my picks for a $5 bet. And I'm doing a $10 Quinella in race 7. I'm going with the Qs tonight, the Quinellas. Two and three. Call the cops and not afraid. I'm pretty familiar with these horses from last year. This is a big, big field. Nine horse race in race seven, but uh, I think they're going to finish one, two. Nicely done. Not afraid. Okay, hold on to your race six pick. Um, I'm going to start on race one. We're going to throw four bucks on a two, three Quinella. Bite the bullet, bro. And bunch of cash. Great names. So we'll do four dollars on that. We're going to do a $1 trifecta box, which is a $6 bet. We're going to pick three horses, and they can finish in any order on the triactor box and get the $1 triactor. I'm picking one, two, and five. So Rite of Vengeance, Mytrude, and Brown Owl. Um, that's a $6 bet. Going to race number four, very close to what you had selected, but not quite. I'm going to go with the one six Quinella. So I'm with you on dot that dosh, but I'm backing hot Linda. So hot Linda and dosh that dot. Um, that's a $5 Quinella. And then this brings us to race six. So again, folks, take a look. Remus, you can get these up right now. Let's roll these down. You need to just pick whoever you think is going to win and uh, send it in. And what's interesting is not a doctor. Number six, I think, was the clear favorite early on. Well, not a doctor's been scratched. So this is a pretty wide open race. Um, the early odds, 30 to one. Hey, let's tango. Number one, Amma star. Number two is 25. We need VLTs, please. Number three, that's my selection, by the way. I'm putting $5 on number three to win. That's my pick. We need VLTs, please. Uh, 10 was Benny Bob. 15 was Lenny Zeal. Eight is cheers to mom. Five, call me captain, which I guess would technically probably be the favorite by the numbers with not a doctor, not in it. And Stormy Barbados, number 12. So again, there's no horse six. So one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, or nine. Make your selection. Email it to Sherry, G-S-H-E-R-I-G at asdowns.com with your name and your phone number, and uh, we'll compile the winners. If you miss a date, not a big deal, but if you play each and every day, you'll have a better chance to win and join us at the Downs for that great buffet dinner and what should be a great night. All right, Remo, who are you picking in race six? 
I'm on cheers to mom. Cheers. So I'll drink to that, and uh, hopefully I can pull out a winner. $5 on cheers to mom for me. Nicely done. Okay, so I'm on horse three. Remus is on horse seven. Make your selection. Get it to Sherry. Good luck. And we're going to do this again tomorrow, Wednesday, and next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll be organizing a night with our winners probably the week or week or two afterwards on one of the dates down at Assiniboia Downs. And again, if you want to make your way out to the Downs tonight, live racing, they get to post at 7.30 p.m. And find out more at asdowns.com. If you can't wait to come with us as a winner, you can make a reservation in the Terrace Dining Room for the world-famous Prime Rib Buffet. Yeah, I can't wait for that. So we'll see who the winner is going to be. I mean, play, email, pick your horse. We have the Cherry G AS Downs. I'm assuming her email is going to get flooded. Like, she's going to need to get some more space after this so this is well, hopefully be... it's a free contest it'll be a lot of fun we'd love to see you out there and again and you can always watch the races too if you you know maybe aren't heading out there but you have entered in the contest just go over to the assiniboy downs youtube page kirk and stretch do a great job of laying out the the lay of the land heading into each night of live racing and uh, of course you can also watch it even after the fact go back and see how you did in race number six so we'll be picking the top three overall, as well as we'll be drawing from people that yeah. won any of the races for another couple, put together a bit of a crew for a fun night with Winnipeg Sports Talk at the races Sh a little later on. Sherry's going to be working hard, I think. Hopefully. Taking, taking down all these entries. So uh, <laughs> you saw the, the horses before. You can scroll back or I'll bring them up one more time on the list. And, T uh, will ask him who names these horses. The owner names the horses. That's what I said. That was my yep. answer. I don't know who else it would be. That that is that uh, that is certainly it. So, uh, anyways, fun show. Uh, it, yeah, if you want to toss in your chat handles, do that. Just make sure that they've got your actual name and phone number, just so if you win, they can uh, let you know that you won. But um, there, certainly, if you are a chatter, if you are on YouTube, pop that in as well. Um, the more information, I, I guess the better. Yeah, I guess we should. Should we also say like, hey, you listen on the podcast? Shout out to all the podcast listeners, and we do want to give a shout out to the people on YouTube. I know there's a lot of people here who haven't hit the red subscribe button. I was looking at the analytics real Why? quick. Like fifty Why? fifty percent of the people who are watching this don't have it subscribed. Come on, hit that red button. We're trying to get to eight k. We're on our way. Also, if you haven't that notification bell right beside it, right there. You can, you'll get notified when videos go up. I had some videos on the weekend, uh, just clips of the show. People aren't liking those. Uh, Marat talking about the Mark Shifley trade possibilities. A lot of people hating those. Thinking those are the worst trade possibilities ever. In a conversation you and Mike McIntyre had um, a couple weeks ago about maybe going with a leadership by committee approach. And um, I don't know, that Frank clip from Shifley, I'm... Still thinking about that, calling him a complainer and uh, yeah, well, I whatever. Mean, Frank just pi just piling on, just people just taking everything, yeah. just piling on here. Can't got to give him a break at this point, right? <laughs> there is some gas. Starting to feel, some starting gas to feel bad. Well, I, you know what? Hey, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, hopefully they figure things out going forward, and no matter what, things are much better around uh, Jets' uh, room on the ice, off the ice, than what happened last year. And I think everyone knows that that is necessary, and and will be up to the powers that be and a new head coach to figure out how they get to that point. But that certainly will be the top priority. Um, so again, thanks to everyone, and for any new subscribers, because we continue to get a bunch more each and every day. Welcome aboard. One o'clock. 
Monday to Friday. We're live here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, and you'll get those podcasts in your feed if you're listening on the podcast in and around 3.30, which, speaking of, we should get out so we can get these podcasts loaded up, and I know there's a lot of people waiting to listen on their way home, so we should do that. Uh, But, Remo, great start to the week, and uh, we're going to get ready for the Cup Final. I know our buddy Matt Calvert's going to head out there. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk to him at some point. We have Mike McIntyre um, and a little bit more. Is, is JD going to join us tomorrow? Dunk, is he good? Dunk is in. Ken is going to be in Denver. And yeah, trying to find a time with Matt Calvert because he's going there and uh, waiting on David Pagnot. We'll see if he's good at some point. He's going to Denver, so it'll be a lot. I just want to say with the cup final. So let me get this straight. Tampa Bay, the defending two-time Stanley Cup champion, yes. were an underdog in the first round against Toronto. Mm-hmm. were the underdog the second round against Florida. That's correct. They were favorites against the Rangers. Fine. Yep. Underdogs again in the cup final. Can Is it possible for a defending two-time, like, to be underdogs that many series? Like, and if Tampa goes on the microphone after you know, they win and say, nobody believed in us, like, they <laughs> might actually have a point. They might actually have a point when they say nobody believed in well, us well uh, remember remember kucherov having fun saying it was so ridiculous that people were uh, underestimating vasilevsky when he didn't win the vezina and all that they might do a team laughing at everybody if they go and get it done to me vasilevsky is the guy like the difference in goaltending is it is such a big advantage for colorado to me makes this series far closer to a pick i mean i get it colorado's amazing you got mccarr mckinnon i mean all that lineup fact that they might not have Kadri, I think, is significant. And, you know, depending on who you believe, we might see Braden Point very soon in this series, too. So, to me, this is way closer. I mean, the value is all on the Tampa Bay Lightning right now, considering what we're seeing the numbers are for it. But uh, I just hope that we get a great long series that goes six or seven games, because I think this is going to be a real treat for hockey fans to see these two teams go at it with everything on the line. Yeah, I'm just hoping for a great hockey. I'm shocked. that I was shocked to see that they were underdogs. Uh, just now, I don't know how. And you you mentioned all the great players on Colorado, don't you think? Tampa has equally as great players. I don't know. And Norris, Finals, and Hedman, uh, Stamkos, like Kutra, best players in the league. Point might be coming back. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know hey, how. I got a closer. twelve to one Tampa future from before the playoffs started. So uh, I'm uh, I will be pulling for the Lightning. Um, and I think that's just more a self-serving thing. But as I said, I just hope it's going to be a great series. And we'll be all over it the next couple days, both with people from around the league, as well as some of our favorites joining us from Denver as the puck drops on Wednesday night. Um, thanks to everyone that joined us. Special thanks to Aaron Cockrell and a great congratulations to him again representing Canada and our province in his first ever PGA Tour event, making the cut, playing the weekend. was a real pleasure having him on the program earlier today. And, of course, huge thanks to The Hammer, Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press, and my guy Dustin Nielsen. Don't miss tomorrow's Lock Shop noon. We'll do that live on Twitter as well as on podcast before we fire up Winnipeg Sports Talk at 1 p.m. right here. Thanks again to all of you for making this a part of your day. Again, if you haven't already and you're with us on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button. Do us a favor, hit the thumbs up as well on your way out. Helps us spread the channel. And uh, thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. We will see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock, more on the Bombers. We'll be back at practice. Week one of the Canadian Football League, a little look ahead to Thursday, and Andrew Harris is 
Toronto Argonaut debut. And of course, the latest on the Winnipeg Jets coaching search, scuttlebutt from around the league, and a countdown to game one of the Stanley Cup final. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks for being with us. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.